Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm not your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon and skeptic. What is Det- uh, Renegade Detroit Investors, RDI? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This is not your grandma's Rhea. No guru sales bullshit from the front, no s- smell of stale coffee, Ben Gay, and or disappointment. Ugh, you know exactly what we're talking about. That's RDI it. is also a podcast where that guy Jeremy sits down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done and picks their brain for your entertainment and education. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like and a share across the internets, rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. It really, really does help. If you have a question and or suggestions, please leave a comment or send a message. And you can go to renegadedetroit.com, meetup.com slash investors. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Detroit Investment Club at Jeremy Burgess and also YouTube at Detroit Wholesalers on YouTube. Little legal, legal disclaimer. Uh, in no way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests or this pretend host say as being taken as <laughs> legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that you, before you make any investment decision, you contact a lawyer and or a licensed professional. Being an adult, don't fucking sue us. And Amen. the show quote. Time for the Renegade Investors show quote. Where I pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. I don't think a better quote could have been chosen for this. It is, so get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage, and go out on the, atta- on the attack from Jocko Willink. Mm. The introduction of our guest, actually, let me, your temporary host, introduce you to my guest, Mr. Jeremy Burgess. He was born in Coos Bay, Oregon but he considers himself a citizen of the world. He was a Navy brat and lived and raised all over the world. Uh, he was joined. He joined the Navy out of high school as a nuclear machinist mate on fast attack submarines. He worked as a dishwasher, line cook, fence builder, and baker before he started in real estate in 2006. Jeremy and his wife Gina moved to Detroit in 2007 to take advantage of what he still believes is the greatest real estate opportunity of his generation. He's flipped wholesaled, wholesaled, rented, land contracted, turnkey rentaled, and listed and sold over 600 deals. He's lost everything twice and is still setting things right from the last failure. Jeremy loves all things farming, wild harvesting, permaculture farming, dogs, podcasting, and all things smoke and barbecue. Jeremy and Gina started Renegade Detroit Investors in 2008, now the largest real estate investor meeting in Detroit. He runs his own team at KW Renegade Realty Group covering all of Southeast Michigan, working all six counties. He wants to crush the fuck out of everything. Amen. So welcome, Jeremy, to your podcast. We're also joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Tomes. Hello. What's up? Thank you, guys. You both volunteered, so you're both pressing the service. Very excited about this. We both pretty much demanded. Yeah, it was time. It's time. It was time, right? 100 episodes. It's a good episode to do it at, too. I like 100. I don't know why, as humans, we pick like these little 100 is some sort of uh, demarcation along the way, right? It's way bigger than 99. Yes. It's way, 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 way. That's what I've been telling her. Anyway. Whole other digit. Yeah. Tell her it's 101 tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this is cool. I, I'm I'm excited to do this too. Uh, we we have, I mean, shit. I think I first met you in. Well, you're fucking responsible for a lot of this, frankly, right? I I guess you you say if you so. never hire me, I never wholesale. I never learn how to wholesale. I never basically condense what you teach me into a <coughs> podcast course, and then that just took a life of its own. So you got to pardon that. That's good. I'm I'm glad to have helped. You helped me a lot too. Helped me discover um a lot of the stuff in Detroit that I wasn't really up on. I mean, I was more like, eh, I guess I'll try this. And uh you know, we've we've done well in Detroit and I've made a lot of great friends. I'm glad to know both of you guys. This is uh more than just doing deals, making money. Like we're making lifelong friendships. And uh, I enjoy hanging out with you guys. I don't get to see yeah. you guys enough, networks. to be honest with you. Yeah, networks. Trusted so, networks. For sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to start with, I, I was going to make a whole list of questions and go through this whole thing, and I just – I never did. I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that anyways. I want to keep this real. How This is how, how I do my podcast usually is I sit down, turn the mic on, and start talking. So I want to go through some basic – Typical questions. You covered a little bit of it in your uh, your intro, but why Detroit? First of all, let's let's go back further. So you're a Navy brat. Um, what was it like growing up um, in Oregon, and then and throughout the world as you traveled, um, being a Navy brat? What was it like to grow up being Jeremy Burgess? Well, way more pros than cons as far as the traveling goes, especially considering where I started. So Coos Bay, Oregon, at least the time that I was there, it, it was, I think it still is, it was at one point the world's largest exporter of uh, lumber in the world, right? So one horse town. Okay. And somewhere in the 80s with Spotted Owl and the Canadians getting in with subsidized lumber, and I think, you know, the Midwest knows how that goes, right? The decline of manufacturing, right? Yep. If, if you're all in on one thing. But this was only a town ever of like 35,000 people. So when that ended, basically all opportunity in that town ended, right? So yep. sawmill shut down. So you had fast food joints. You had some services. No future, no opportunity. Uh, we lived in a single wide trailer near the uh, uh, the bridge, which was near near the bay, and it was not a nice it was not a nice trailer park even for even for Coos Bay, Oregon. It was not a nice trailer park. So going nowhere, doing nothing fast. So if in fact, if you fast forward and look to my cousins, who who never escaped, one is still living in a single wide trailer with three different children from three different fathers. The other one's been divorced. My uncle blew his head off. Like. Sad, sad little town. At the same time, though, um, if you know anything about small towns, you know, it's not their fault. It's the Mexicans, mm -hmm. the Catholics, the liberals, the – you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Like Stump, they, they fucked us over and now our town is screwed. Thanks a lot. Yep. One of that. So my father joined the Navy when I was five years old because of that. Okay. Getting his ass kicked, can't make any money, right? For whatever all the many differences I have with my father, he did set a good example when it came to uh, work ethic. So he joined United States Navy, and we moved from Coos Bay to Pensacola, Florida, then Pensacola, Florida, to a little island called Guam, then Guam to Boise, Idaho, Boise, Idaho to London, England, 
Gaeta, Italy, back to London, England, back to Rome, Italy, then back to Tacoma, Washington, where I graduated high school. I'll get into that too, barely. And then um, I joined the Navy, Great Mistakes, Illinois, called Great Lakes, <laughs> Illinois, then Charleston, South Carolina, San Diego, California, where I was stationed on the USS Bremerton 698, then from there, Pullman, Washington, and then finally, Detroit, Michigan. The cool thing about that was, if you think about just luck of birth, if you're born in America, you're just fucking lucky right off the mm-hmm. bat, right? But let's face it, if you had to pick, what's up with that door? Sounds like the building's about to blow over. Sorry. Doing a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're doing this at a KW office. Anyway, Coos, Coos Bay, Oregon is not where you would pick to be born if you're talking about opportunity for the future and exciting, vibrant culture and people. It's a worn horse town, and it happens all throughout history. And it's a sad little thing. I got to see other possibilities all over the world and mm-hmm. many different cultures. Go to Florida, go to Guam, see the Guamanian culture, which was like a native Spanish culture, and then go to London, which was truly an international culture, right? Then to Rome and Gaeta. Gaeta was like a little fishing culture. It's like that for thousands of years. And, of course, Rome, one of the longest. So so I got to see lots of different possibilities. And I was um, just through sheer luck, right? Nobody controls this. I was born smarter than most, too. So I don't know what would have happened to me if I stayed in that little small town. I look at my cousins and nothing good. Right. Right. I think we all know those stories. Sure. Right. So it was a little hard and that I went to 12 different schools, literally. Right. So and if you're the especially if you're a guy, it means you got to get in a fight, you know, like <laughs> 12 times. Yeah. It's just at least right. <laughs> ah, fuck. Here we go. Again. Yeah. So that part, um, not so great. Good thing though, is I went to some shitty schools and I went to some good schools though too. So I didn't just get stuck in one or the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine being a kid in Detroit and Detroit public schools being your only option. Yeah. At least I wasn't fucked like that. Right. Right. So there's definitely pros, Cons thing that really sucked though, small thing in high school. I had to do freshman class every year because I went to four different high schools, which sucks as a senior, right? Like that kind of shit was annoying. You were always doing because the curriculum changed everywhere you went. So you're doing something for a different curriculum. So then that changed as well. Seeing everything though, especially Guam, that was, we were poor. How old were you then? Man, I was six, six years old. We moved from uh, Pensacola, Florida, where we were poor, living in substandard housing. Housing so shitty that the government actually paid us to stay in it. <laughs> right. And then we moved to Guam with the Guamanian kids who literally had dirt floors. They lived in huts. Uh, we The bus would take the dirt road into the jungle, and you would see where they were dropping these kids off. And a lot of these kids um, – I don't know if you know what a beetle nut is. It's like a – it's like an upper. It's similar to like an amphetamine. It's a nut. You put some lime on it with some leaves. You put it into your mouth, and, you, and it turns your teeth red, but it gives you like a stimulant. Like mm. there were already kids in kindergarten and first grade who were doing this and were missing teeth and wow. no shoes. So, so what are you? You're six years old. Yes, you're in another part of the world. What are you thinking when you're seeing this? As well, as I was a thinking I had it pretty fucking good, right? Like that <laughs> right. was not my initial. 
Like, I'm thinking life kind of sucks. Shitty little trailer park, substandard, you know, not yeah. enough food, all that kind of shit. Um, violence of my parents and all that. Like, man, this is just – and everybody around me is kind of like that too. Right. Right? And then you see something significantly worse. I, I don't – I mean, it helped reset what was possible – in my head, I'm like, well, shit, at least I don't have it that fucking bad. At right? six. Right. Can you imagine six that? Years that's old. crazy. Damn. I mean, that's <clears> it that. was arresting. Um, two kids died in my school. I was there for kindergarten and first grade. One kid died with the lunch tables that fold in half like a V. Mm-hmm. He got crushed. I didn't see that, but I saw the blood stain. And then another kid, that, to give you an idea how terrible a school this was, um, the, uh, the recess in a... Uh, fence where he put up it was like that one hole you go in the fence with two exits so how you got to the field was to run to this fence and then all the kids had to pour through this one spot one kid got trampled to death jesus christ like a cattle shoot in a fucking elementary school you know what i'm saying kindergarten elementary school yeah um that's the kind of school it was so that was pretty i was like oh my god right that so that was good in that sense now the culture was amazing I think this is where I got into barbecue pretty heavy because they loved pork. <laughs> Quamanians love everything about the pig. Wow. And they have so many different ways of grilling it. And even though they were poor, it was a very open and giving culture that way. When you were having your barbecue, you're supposed to invite everybody over to eat. And it was very formal like that. It, it, it has a like a culture of – uh, what would you call it? Hospitality, mm-hmm. right? So you got to try everything and it was always amazing. And that stuck in my head forever. We had the best beach barbecues there that I remember as a kid. <laughs> I climbed coconut trees, 40, 50, 60 feet up as a little kid, pull the coconuts down. I could open them with a hammer and screwdriver. Like I figured out how to eat the food that way. Um, I would just complete neglect from my parents. I would wait out or swim out miles into the ocean Especially when uh, the tide went out, I would just wade out for miles because there'd be these pools, right? Because it's a big, basically volcanic island. <coughs> the water would create these pools. So you'd be walking on basically rock and you would come to a hole in the rock and there'd be this enormous pool, like just tens of thousands of gallons and tropical fish everywhere. You jump down in there, do all that. So that that was cool. But then there to – Boise, Idaho. So like the constant changing of cultures. And Boise, Idaho at that time was just an agricultural city. That's just farm city, right? Just starting to become something like a normal city with business. Now Boise is a huge city, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't at the time. So there were a lot of pros and a lot of cons. Traveled the whole world. Got to live in Rome. That shit was amazing. Um, Overall, I think it was a benefit. I mean, yeah, seeing possibilities sounds obviously pretty, pretty rough, but at the same time at six years old, recognizing how good you had it at the lowest levels in, in the States and that just that perspective. I mean, fuck, I didn't get that perspective till almost 40, right? Like it took a lot of life for me to really, I really look at things and go, wow, they had it bad. I had, I had it fucking bad and these kids had it way, way worse. It was you couldn't almost believe it was like two worlds. We lived on the base. They lived in the jungle. We go to the same school. Right. Kind of like it wasn't apartheid, which is military versus civilian. Right. But as far as like we were poor, dirt, dirt poor. And then they literally got a hut in the jungle, poor, no shoes. Yeah. Like that's dirt poor. Even young children can see the difference there. I 
I had shoes. I didn't like wearing them, but I had them. Yeah. You know, I went to school in shoes. They made you, you know, yeah. I was very upset about that in kindergarten. <laughs> I don't want to wear any fucking shoes, you know, <laughs> he's not wearing shoes already. I was like, the man is trying to oppress me. Who says you need show me in the, I, no, I'm just joking about that. Show me in the constitution where it says I have to wear <laughs> my children would agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> shoes to school. I don't want to, I wasn't interested in that. Yeah. So what, so basically your formative years from five through graduating high school really was spent at a different place. What? Every couple of years, every year. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to two kindergartens, one first grade, two second grades, one third and fourth grade, one fifth grade, one sixth grade, one seventh grade, one eighth grade, one ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade and 12th grade. Wow. So, yeah. But that's why it's that's why he's a networker, a marketer. He's used to having to introduce. Well, I found out why people. in my <laughs> adult life um, we would have to change schools a lot anyway. But I had extremely abusive parents, and schools would start to catch on, so they would move us to another school. Uh, right. So part of the game was, you so know, it wasn't just moving. Yeah, hide. Just you just. Oh, I didn't realize that as a kid. They always had some dumb excuse why we had to go to. Well, that school's no good. Mm. And you're like. I don't know. And you just, as a kid, you're a little kid, like you don't know. They're not saying, well, we're getting questions from the teachers or we don't like them asking. Like they don't tell you that they make up some other shit, but yeah. So that, that was one of the reasons why. So until the very end, then that was more like I dropped out of high school for a while and they had the, they went out of their way to get me to come back. So I could graduate. Yeah. Which that's good. Cause that, that one little, just like a, a college degree sometimes that one little piece of paper makes all the world. You could be the most educated, smart, have all read all the same. Yeah, don't limit your options textbooks. unnecessarily. Yeah, right. Just you don't know. You know, you don't know what you're going to need in the future. That's yeah. the hard part about being young. Yeah, you think you know. You think you know everything. But you sure as shit don't know. And by the time you really start to know, you realize you don't know much of anything at all. So yeah. yeah. So why why the Navy? Same. Same reason as your dad did and, and same no, as – No, no. My dad did out? it for money, get out of town. He was tired of being poor. I wanted to get out of town. Yeah. And I I was already up to a lot of no good. I was drinking pretty heavily. I was partying pretty hard. And I got accepted to some colleges, but I didn't want to go get the loans. I had quite a few scholarships. I would to pay for some, but I had the foresight to know that I was – I wasn't going to go do it. Yeah. Right. I was looking for an escape and then to just not think about it. Right. And the Navy, um, if you qualify for certain jobs, they have bonuses associated with those jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. So you go down you take the ASVAB test. And then if you do well in the ASVAB test, they have you take a couple other tests. I think one was like engineering and the other was language, mm-hmm. right? And then depending on how you do on those tests, you could go into those schools as well. And at the time, those schools had bonuses attached. And I've been a greedy little fucker. <laughs> like I've been capitalist like that growing up poor. My mom uh, used to tell me. Uh, no to everything. Didn't give me money. Didn't, didn't even really want to feed us or anything like that. I would say, well, what are you going to do about it? Right. And I remember getting fucking pissed as a little kid. I decided early I was going to do something about it. So the Navy's offered me huge bonus money. 
Um, how I picked what I was going to do was I qualified for both programs, the language program and the engineering pro- nuclear engineering program, but the nuclear engineering program had a bigger bonus. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's how I decided my career in the United <laughs> States Navy. is like, which one had – I literally asked, which one has the bigger bonus? <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess and say the language would have been a bit easier. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we'll never know now, will we? I don't know. The other one sounds a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Nuclear engineering, still tad. A little bit. Difficult. You don't just get to learn one language. Like I think you got to learn like a lot of languages. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. They're both they're difficult specialized. programs. Yeah. But w- I, they were offering me forty thousand dollars to. I now I had to complete. What, right, what year was this? Certain stages. This is nineteen ninety eight. This is so real. A like hundred grand right yeah, now. Just Jesus. <laughs> I'm like I'm doing that. How hard could it be? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty difficult. Yeah. I bet it was a difficult thing to to do. Yeah. What was the hardest part about it? Well, being the when I joined the Naval Nuclear Power Program, that's where you go from being the smartest kid in the class to not being even close to the smartest kid in the class anymore. So I didn't know how to learn. Yeah, school is too easy. Um, I could memorize easily. Math came, math and engineering and languages and reading and memorizing it's always been it's very easy for me right um so i i go to the school first school is a school it's just basic machinist mate stuff right and none of it was hard but the pace like the navy is not wasting their money i'm sure it's like this across the armed forces right you have a curriculum. This is your fucking job. Yeah. Like the, when you go to school in the Navy, there's no sick days. You don't get to call in. I don't feel good. You can't be late. You can't not turn in your homework. They will fuck you over so hard, right? I saw guys do that, and if they thought you failed out on purpose, they would make sure you were scraping barnacles and painting bones in some shitty fucking spot. So when you're going to school in the Navy, you're this is a job. Right. And you have a course and I was doing my normal ways and I didn't do very well. I got a 3.2. I was in just barely in the top half of the class. And that was, uh, that was pretty shocking for me. Right. So I had to actually start working. Good thing about the Navy though, is all that money they're spending on you. They actually take the time to teach you how to learn, which is what they did. And I had to actually apply myself for real for the first time in my life, which I'm forever grateful for. I think one of the greatest things you could do old or young is take on a challenge so big, you probably could, could not pass or do it, or you're very likely to fail or or not do well. Right. And maybe not feel all that great about yourself. I had never been challenged mentally in this way, Mm. right? I had sports in high school and I got my ass beat as a kid, different schools, gangs and shit like that, getting you and getting beat for 25, all that shit, right? But not like mentally tested. So meant the Naval Nuclear Power School, which was the B school. And that was definitely thermodynamics. I don't think it's fun under any circumstance, but under those circumstances, it was particularly hellish. And I had to work my ass off to actually get decent grades for the first time in my life. So basically for a year and a half, it was like 18 hours a day working, studying. And then after that 18 hours, I go drink and party and drug and do all that shit too. You know, you're young, you got all that energy, Mm -hmm. you go pour yourself into that thing. So I was, even though I hated being an engineer, 
it was good for me that I went and did that, even though that was not the reason why I went, right? Like I was literally just thinking money. Yeah. $40,000 sounds pretty good. If I got to go, you know what? Military is going to suck no matter what. I might as well have 40 extra thousand dollars. <laughs> no, I should have been the cook, Steve. I should have been the cook. That's what I should have done. Well, let me thank you right now for not blowing anything up, doing well in school. I mean, <laughs> probably a good reason why that program is so hard. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of um, – we lost about 65%. It was tough. It was tough. And, and it wasn't just because – the the schoolwork was tough and the engineering and prototype was tough. It was the pace at which we had to learn it too. Yeah. They it's it's almost it's almost a four year degree in a year and a half is what it is. So not only is it complicated and difficult work, uh, but it's actually you're doing it in a very compressed time frame, right? Because yeah. the Navy got you on a contract, they got you a certain amount of time. Yeah. They gotta get your ass out in fleet. With enough time to earn and do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're not messing around with your education. So a lot of people who would normally make it in the civilian world, if they weren't under the gun, don't necessarily make it just because of the pace at which you have to work and learn. So that makes sense. What, what was it about the Navy or that pace or that, that experience that you think translates well to what you do like now? What do you think the biggest impact on that part of your life was on what you do now? Everything else has been easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. if you – people who have been in the military, and I'm not talking about the ones on the love ships, you know, and, and the Air Force and all that, but like real military – Uncle Sam gets his dollars <laughs> worth just out of you. Denigrated a whole service with one sentence. Yep. Or the Air Force. Yeah. Well, you know, I know some people in the Air Force have it bad, but I went to your base and I saw what you had. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I have eyes, you know. I could pay attention. You had you had AC. We like. Are you kidding me? We didn't even have a fucking fan, right? <laughs> In the Navy, they spend all their money on ships and jets and fuel. They're like, yeah. they don't give a fuck about you. Yeah. So everything else has been easy. When we go underway, um, basically, it's not a 24 hour day. You work on an 18 hour day, right? So it's an 18 hour day underway and you do uh, six hour shifts, right? And you have a six hour shift every three shifts at least, sometimes, and sometimes every other shift. That's called port and starboard, right? And what that means is you just go around, you take logs, you make sure everything is running as it should be running. If you have to perform any operations, you perform them. But mostly what you're doing, since the purpose of engineering is to be entirely predictable and never have anything ever go wrong and everything always be exactly the fucking same, what happens is kind of like a Groundhog Day scenario, right? But with greater and greater sleep deprivation, right? You work something like 21 hours a day and you maybe get three to four hours of sleep, not usually contiguous either because of training evolutions. When you get on the boat, they call you a nub, a non-useful body. That's one of the nicer things they call you, right? (laughs) Until you can stand watch, which means they get to sleep more. They don't let you read books. You don't get to watch movies. Like I remember I go, stupid, right? You just don't know the rules. And I'll, I'll sit here and lean and watch this movie here for five seconds, right? The second I stop and lean, it's like, oh, I guess you're qualified, huh, Burgess? It's like, so that's how they need you on the sub. It's a volunteer within a volunteer. So now you just made it through this program. You yeah. show up there. You're doing that. 
and then you're working 20, 21 hours a day for months on end and weeks, the day doesn't even matter, let alone months, right? Uh, you know, it's Wednesday because it was Mexican Wednesday and you know, it was Sunday morning because you got steaks to order. That's go. it. <laughs> Otherwise it was just 1430 logs, 1500 logs is Tuesday. It just, it's irrelevant. It's yeah. just some numbers at the top of the paper. One day goes into the next day and oh, just this long drawn out thing with no real beginning and end. And by the end, you're so sleep deprived. No wonder when they let you loose on a port, you go act like a bunch of fucking maniacs, right? <laughs> Literally everything else has been, even the worst days of everything I was doing has been easier than that. There's, there's something to be said though with struggle and failure and not, you know, having to go through hard things um because it it prepares you for to to be able to handle the good things i feel like i mean the i'm i'm just trying to think about the most successful people that i know all either went through some really really hard shit or failed usually spectacularly and then rose to you know their their greatness or whatever you want to say I mean, what is it about that that you think – what do you, you think is to that? I mean, why do you think that is? Well, I can only speak for myself. I don't know if I was born this way or made this way. I suspect both. Um, but here, here's how I've always felt about it. What could I do about it? Right. What, what can I do about it? I – hated you know when you're like uh, crabs in a bucket when you're when you're that low those people just every every idea you have anything good that you want to talk about any problem they have is not their problem it's somebody else but they have a bigger problem right and it, if only when this happens and i'll be and it'll never be and you know it's the it's the mexicans and they're ruined just all this fucking shit um being told you can't you're not worth it by your parents from a very young age. I had a chip on my shoulder. I think I still do. Like to this day, I don't care anymore. But for a long time, a lot of what I did was just fuck you. Mm-hmm. Watch me. Fuck you. Watch me. That's powerful, though, I think. I mean, it sucks to – I come from the exact same type of mentality, so I resonate with that. And I'm sure a lot of the, your listeners do, too. Um, my sister didn't though. She became a doormat, right? Like not everybody. So it's not like, uh, yeah, not everybody responds the same way. I no. took it. I was very angry. I'm talking seething anger. I could, I probably statistically, I should be in fucking jail. I should have killed people, robbed liquor stores, like, and I have every right. reason in the world to do this, right? This is the kind of resentment. And anger I had, not just towards my parents, but to the the school system that didn't protect me, the military that didn't give a shit, the moving on, the family and the friends and the nobody who cared and being all on your own, even from a little kid. Mm -hmm. That was with me the whole time. And all I wanted was fucking money. I was like, I'm never going to be like this. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to raise my kids like this. I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm not going to end up like sad has been at the end of my life with excuses about why I couldn't or shouldn't or it never happened for me. I never planned on fucking up so bad and going wrong so much, right? Like I didn't know how hard it was going to be. 
I just knew I was moving away from that. Like, that's what I don't want. Yeah. And to me, it was visceral. Like, not only do I not want it, I don't want to be near it. Mm-hmm. Right. And if somebody comes up to me, kind of like, I'm still to this day, just like, I treat it more like an infection. Right. Like, you came up to me infected with smallpox. Like, I don't even want a fucking chance of being yeah. around you and catching it. And then what if, like, that's the kind of fear I have with it. And it moves me in ways and has provided a lot of fuel for me, especially younger on, to move me as far away from that. Now, sometimes it was into another bad thing, unfortunately. Right. right? But at least moving away from that thing. So that's how I always was. It is getting worse as I get older, though. What What do you mean? I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't say worse. More. It's increasing as I get older. Your your inability to be around people that are infected with shitty attitudes? That and my desire to impose my plan and my will on things that are like less and less satisfied that all the you, time. You're, you are going to create the life you want, period. Yes. Nobody's going to stop you from yes. that. I totally agree. And until, until – and until – and I know I'll never get there, right? But like the whole journey, but that is my, that is my mentality now, which, which I have to be careful with, frankly, because sometimes, you know, when you're driven like that, it's easy. Like if you even make a shimmy to the left or to the right, you can go far, fast, the wrong way. Like, <laughs> oh, for sure. One, <sighs> one degree difference. I mean, you yeah. look at a flight. One tiny little change changes the trajectory of where they're going. So if it's you not stay on that path for too thing. long. Yeah. Right? Know thyself. Can fuck you. Yeah. Especially or my you're moving on a million miles per hour. Yeah. Like it comes up even faster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I could also focus on one thing sometimes and miss opportunities around me. So focused. I've always felt like, why do two things when I could just do one thing really, really well? Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel that way sometimes, but I do realize that when I do that, I am saying that the cost of that is saying no to everything else. And that's right. not free either too, right? There's a cost in all those decisions. So it says something I have to, I've noticed I've had to temper as I get older. Yeah. So why Detroit? Why 2007? That's a funny story. So I am frying donuts and I'm a baker in Safeway, which is like a Kroger out West. And I'm making twelve seventy six an hour, and that was after I negotiated an additional dollar per hour by threatening to quit. Technically, the union only authorized eleven seventy six. I was like, "No, I'm going to quit if you don't give me twelve seventy six." I just spent six months, and I saved him tens of thousands of dollars on bread. I got the inventory system up and running, turned that shit around, and then I went and asked for a raise. That's kind of the way I've always been, like. If I want more money, I need to figure out a reason why someone should give me more money. Prove and in it. my eyes, if I save them all this money and this bread and this waste that they're fucking up that nobody taking responsibility for, right? That that would be a good time for me to go ask for a raise. But still, I'm only at twelve seventy six an hour. My boss Dell, one of my one of the greatest leaders of my life. What a great boss! Wasting away in a Safeway bakery. I'm glad he was happy. He was making seventeen dollars an hour. My best friend, Jason, came back from Iraq, and he had read a bunch of real estate books. And he said, Jeremy, this is what we need to do. We need to get into real estate. We can make money in real estate. And this is about how long I thought about it. I was like, you're fucking right. We need to do this. 
That's literally <laughs> what we did. I didn't even read the fucking books at the time. What was the first book that you did read? Uh, Creating Wealth Through Real Estate by Robert Allen. Robert Allen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and that's when I went to the – I did the whole guru bullshit. I went and signed up for EWI, the Enlightened Wealth Institute, you know? That just sounds fucking Of course, gay. dude. <laughs> this is the problem. Okay. I – don't get me wrong. I love being a man of action, right? Hell yeah. You sometimes need to think through your actions a little bit more clearly, but I like to start. When I have an idea, I'm like, why wait? All this time we're going to wait, thinking yeah. about if we just would have started, we probably would have figured it out already. And I still think I'm right most of the time. No, in that's this case, a good attitude to have. Though. Yeah, we end up signing up for $50,000, you know, the Oops. whole shebang, yeah. caboodle. Anyway, one of those is a foreclosure conference that we go to. I can't remember what city. It wasn't Detroit at the time. And remember, this were, is 2006, 2006, 2007, 2006, 2005, 2006. That's right. Yeah. Right when I got into you. So before you even started, this is actually 2005 because I haven't even started investing in Detroit. Yeah, I'm yeah. doing some shitty deals in Pullman and I'm working on some short sales in Spokane, Washington. And I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm just doing whatever the EWI coach tells me to do. Yeah. Of course, he's never done it. So none of that shit's working, but I'm like <laughs> diligently <laughs> running the wrong the way. Manual. As fast as I can, right? Because that's what I do. I'm going to implement this plan to the max. Yep. Fail fast. So that's what I did. I'm doing that. And they start talking about Detroit and I see the prices. And I'm living out west. And I I, I grew up in a fake economy, a lot of it, right? Because you're in the military. You get paychecks every two weeks. It's not real, right? There's no supply and demand. Right. The economy never affects you. You don't get fired from your job, right? It's just... So long as you continue to advance in the military, you can stay in the military. And if you stop advancing, you sometimes can't stay in the military. I don't know anything about home prices. We never bought a house. We never even rented a house because the military does that for you, right? right? So, like, I know nothing about economy. I have an amazing education, self-education. But at this point, I haven't read one economics book. Haven't read Adam Smith, haven't read uh, Thomas Sowell, haven't read anything, nothing. I know nothing about economics. I think this is how it's always going to be. And out west, a postage stamp is $500,000. And in Detroit, at the time, it was higher than it was at the time. It was like 40, you know, I could buy, I could buy a house for $40,000. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? And you go and you look at these brick houses, they're beautiful. So this guy who told me about Detroit and I was like, you're wrong. How could that possibly be? And I start looking into this and I'm getting very interested. I'm seeing the cash flow opportunities out West. The model that's being presented to me in Seattle is you're going to buy this house, lose money for three years with negative amortization and negative cash flow. But at the end, the appreciation is going to be so high. You're going to sell and make money. I'm like, that's fucking retarded. Why would you ever do that? What if the economy, what if it doesn't keep going up? Right? Like I didn't know enough about the economy. But that was just like known scam. That can't make sense. You look at the numbers of Detroit after cash flow and everything, you're like, am I really making $350 on this one little property after everything's said and done every month? No, obviously, I didn't know how hard landlording was, right? But yeah. regardless. In Detroit, too. The math. And you're like, okay. So Jan and I traveled out here, did a conference out here, and looked at everything. And I was sold immediately. I had to go back and sell Gina on it. Which How was, was not that process? An easy sell. Well, talk about that. Knowing what I know now, oh. essentially, I just bullied her into it. <laughs> I was a bad husband. I was a young husband. 
this is before I had gotten into therapy or anything else. I didn't realize at the time that my wife is the most indirect person in the world and will say and do things that she doesn't mean mm. to avoid confrontation and all this other stuff. So it took a few months. It didn't seem that hard to me, right? She was worn out from work. She'd been putting in 70, 80 hours at essentially a startup at a university, and she did a great job um, working for the university. This was all in fitness, but she'd been doing it for a long time. Uh, they weren't paying her a lot of money and she was tired and I was starting to make really good money in real estate, right? Like I didn't realize it was an accident. Everybody was making money, right? right? Oh, I could just, how do you buy a house? Just pull it off your credit card. Oh, really? $120,000 later off credit cards. We're in the business of houses. Just like that. It was yeah. that simple. I'm like, oh, I can do this. Yep. Right. You call the bank. Well, you know, I got these closings over here. All I got right now is $15,000, but I got two more closings. That doesn't matter. Just sign the thing. It's going to be 7.5%. Do you care? You're going on for a few months. No, I don't. You know the drill, right? Yep. So you think you're doing well. So I had a track record too. So I, I had some success. Bought a couple of rentals, flipped several houses, didn't make as much money on some as I would like, but generally was making money on every one. Um, didn't lose money. It was getting my ass kicked on a few rentals, right? Mm -hmm. Which is predictable as hell, right? But even with break-ins and shit getting stolen, it was so crazy. Like you were still making some money. So she saw the potential coming in and I sold her on living downtown in a condo. So we move here. We're, we're staying in a hotel <clears throat> with four cats, by the way. Again, downtown Detroit in 2007. Seven, yeah. Not 2019 downtown New, Detroit. Beautiful. Sucks. Yeah. Royal Oak prices. We're talking 2007, ghost town. Nothing going on down there. People running scared in the streets. And this was even before the big crash. This was They only went for the Tigers game and the football game and the car show. And got the fuck out of there as soon Drove as in, drove out. Yep. That's Nowhere exactly. to eat. Very small places to hang out. There was no check. No river walk. They were, they were still trying to – they just started yeah. it. They had like some part of it. No pedestrian walk. Comerica was open. Ford Field was open. Yeah. But at, that was like – the early stages of, of the, the rebirth of, if you will. So my wife loves culture scary. and doing things and getting dressed up fancy. And I'm selling her downtown Detroit, yeah. which she did like saw the potential. Obviously it's not New York or LA or Seattle. Mm -hmm. Right. But there was still some stuff to do culture. There's an opera house, yep. all sorts of shit. Right. So of course we know this story. We move out here in May, 2007, we find the condo. We're going through the process of the loan. She's in love with it. It's fantastic. These morons are going to give me $350,000 to buy it, right? Do we? In the process, the entire Detroit market collapses. So July 2007 is all my flips, you know, that were worth 120 or then worth 80, then 60, then 20. By December, they're worth like 10, right? Like that's how fast – happened of course i lo our loan fell through yeah right um so now we're still living and the hotel months later uh no downtown detroit dream right so i end mm -hmm. up in the sub two deal that i did on the east side of detroit because i'm like i got this hotel is eating up my money I, I have almost nothing i'm doing a hustle i didn't realize kind of what i was doing was like a quasi wholesale at the time I didn't know about wholesaling. I was just like buying and then trying to sell them for a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then that dried up. 
So then I, I put together like this Discover Detroit program where I could, hey, you can hire me. I'll drive you around for two days. You're going to pay me two grand. I'll introduce you to all the people, the right people, where to buy, where not to buy. I'd already figured it out by then, got my yep. ass kicked. So I kind of trying to do what I can to get some fucking money in the door where I can figure out we need to get out of this hotel too, but it's mm-hmm. eating us alive like a fucking crocodile, right? So I went to um, Rhea McComb. And that's why I found out about Subtus. And I was already doing pre-foreclosure marketing anyway. So I started asking that question. I got a yes on a property. We went and checked it out. Not the nicest, pretty dirty. It took Gina and I three days, like 18 hours a day cleaning to get it clean. But everything worked and we could take over her payments. But now we're on the east side of Detroit and we only made it nine months there. How's Immediately get broken into multiple times, right? It's just gunshots almost every fucking night, domestic violence, breaking windows. This one neighbor in particular was bad. Gina was fucking terrified. I didn't have any more money to get me out of there. I had to go do other shit. I was trying to. It was horrific. Run out of money. They come out, cut our electricity off too, right? Like, God damn it. That sucks. I'm like, this is not the dream. I sold. Um, this neighborhood was so bad. I still sometimes I'm a, I was a little bitter about it and a culture shock too. So here I'm taking my wife who's never seen or experienced anything like this in her entire fucking life. Like I know I grew up with a lot of these people. Right. I didn't think it'd be this bad though. Right. <clears throat> so you could imagine that did not bode well for for the relationship and all that. And that was uh, – I'm glad I got to do a sub-two deal. I did several sub-two deals after that, which was awesome. It was a cool thing to learn how to do. And But picking that spot, it was an act of desperation. And it yeah. just did not work out. At least it got us out of hotel. Yeah. Um, Definitely then, an act of desperation, though. That's where you do the yeah. deal – and you're like, I, I don't care. I need this. I'm going to make it happen. You probably knew at that time this isn't the best idea. I don't. This, this I legitimately lost my mind in this house. At the time, they were robbing me blind and all my. And I'm trying to save this shit. I don't realize you're, none of it's going to be saved. Yeah. You just don't know yet. You know, you're just desperately holding on for straws. I'm getting robbed blind, furnace is stolen, all that. I legitimately lose my fucking mind. I catch this guy breaking into the house next door to mine. I run out with my shotgun. I hold him at point with his shotgun. He takes a step forward towards me. I shoot right at his fucking feet. He takes off running. Detroit police come out and grab me. <laughs> I go to court. Felony ticket. Jeez. Right. Fortunately, because I worked with a nonprofit that this particular judge liked, he let me off. Right. Like, so there were several times I legitimately lost my fucking mind. Right. And I think back to like, why would I ever do that? Well, you were scared you know, for your life, I'm sure. No, I went over there. Like, I was hunting his motherfucker. It wasn't yeah. my house. It was it was a bank-owned house. It was just not on my fucking watch, right? Yeah, like, yeah. why would I ever do that? That's stupid, Jeremy. It drove me fucking insane. Temporary insanity, right? For like two or three years, I think. Because for like two or three years, I'm like, yeah, fuck that guy. I should have shot him. And then I got a little further away from him. Like, what the hell was I doing? I could have ended up dead. For what? The bank's house? Yeah. Essentially? Well, right? I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm not as further enlightened as you but I, 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 i'm thinking steve for the dark side. that guy's lucky that uh you should be dead that he that he was breaking into that house and not your house i caught a second one i hauled him at gunpoint till the cops got there 
And then I had to go three times. The prosecutor didn't want, they just want to let him off. I had to, my wife and I had to go three times for him to get prosecuted and go to jail. So I did it right too, right? Like I caught him like, nope, you, yeah, you can come out that window. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to be dropping right here or you can sit there and stay and wait until the police get here. He stood and he waited for the police. Smart man. (laughs) Took 45 fucking minutes though. You're lucky they showed up at all. Man. When, uh, I told him I had him at gunpoint. Yeah. He still took 45 minutes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The uh, the house we're closing on on Monday when that got broken into one one of the times. So this is 2019. This shit yeah. still happens. People just it hasn't changed much. Not has much. <laughs> I got an AK pulled on me at this house too. I'm just toughened no up story. now. Just a little <laughs> dead on the inside when yeah. it happens. I don't lose my shit. <laughs> they never showed up. They they yeah. literally just never came. Yeah. Alarm company called them. The security guard that showed up called them. I called nobody. They never came. No. And it got broken into, stuff was taken, damaged, you know, thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Cost of doing business in Detroit, unfortunately. Yep. If you're not prepared for it, though, which I was not. I was not prepared for any of this. I don't know anything about economics. Yeah. I don't know anything about politics because uh, politics to me is the same thing as religion. I don't care. You yeah. can keep it to yourself. Yep. It's yours. It's private. Yeah. I don't really care about it. Introduction to Detroit politics, right? I have no idea about any of this stuff. So I came just like a, a fresh off the boat. Mm-hmm. No clue about it. So I was. I can picture their face. I was like, fucking eaten fucking alive. Bad. I was eaten alive by Detroit. And it didn't take very long <coughs> for it to happen either. Even as yeah. I, I'm tougher than the average bear, but when you don't know what you're doing and everybody else knows, yeah. like that's, that's, and they're out for you and they're waiting for you. And it's part of what they're looking for is you, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Oh, I found another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They knew, they knew you were you when they saw you. Neon fucking lights <laughs> shining, flashing in your window. Uh, so. But I will, I will counter with this. Who's still fucking here? That's what I say now. Yeah. That's, well, that's the only thing you can say, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally still here. I'm still here, here motherfuckers. That's right. Yeah. Bring it. So, no, I mean, I, Gina... I, I don't know Gina that well, but the interactions I've had with her over the years, she's like literally the nicest person yes. I've ever met. Actually, like, one of the reasons why I married her. Sweetest, nicest person. Legitimately nice, too. Yeah, yeah. Not not, not fake nice, like nice yes. to you, but then behind your back says all these things. Let, let, me, let me tell you about my wife. She goes to the dental school to get her dental work done, and every time the dental school uh, whoever her dental tech graduates from school, she knits them a hat. She bakes things to take in yeah, for Easter yeah. at the yoga class, right? She does cards for everybody by hand. Like this is, this is the level of care Gina has for the things around her and just what she does, right? So she's like legitimately one of the nicest people I've ever met. And Jeremy brought her to Detroit, Detroit. <laughs> in 2007. Yep. May 2007. Put her up in a hotel for like three and a half, oh. four months with four cats. God. Then moved her to the east side of the fucking Detroit. Gunshots. We found bullets. Like, I'm like, oh my God. This is true love though, people, yeah. because she's still there. Broken into. Still I think they broke into our house five times. Wow. Stole several of my guns. Stole. You know what I'm pissed about the most though? I found the perfect steelhead rod. It took me like two and a half years to find the perfect steelhead rod. I know these motherfuckers weren't fishing for steelhead. Why did you have to take my medium light action, 11 and a half foot steel fishing, steelhead fishing pole, man? Like, cocksuckers, leave that shit alone. I'm never going to find that fishing pole again. That right. pissed me off. All my fishing shit gone from back in the day. Ugh. So, So 2007 through 
2011, probably, right? Is was the next phase. 2012. 2012? Yeah. 2012 is when it officially died. So in 2007, I was Jeremy Real Estate, JB Real Estate Solutions, right? Okay. I got a partner. So this is the first crash. First crash. So JB Real Estate Solutions. So we teased two. Dead. Okay. And you know what? Good. It was fast. It was brutal, kind of like something in the Serengeti, right? There's a small <laughs> struggle and then you're dead. But the good thing about it is you can get back to work immediately, right? You don't have right. time to dwell. I was broke. They'd already cut the, our electricity off at our house. We don't have gas. We're walking uh, a couple miles to the where the Big B used to be on Mac to plug in our laptops for the day and charge up our cell phones so we can try and keep business going and you know make some money. Um, we start urban Detroit wholesalers with a partner and, uh, November, 2007 and get my first private lender, $50,000. And we get right back to work and we close our first deal. I want to say it was January 18th, 2007. It was on green lawn and we made 20 grand. And it was our first official deal back in business. And from there we did a ton of stuff. I think before I met and started working for you, I'd only done three deals in the suburbs, all on accident. Oh, wow. All were in Redford, and they were all close to Detroit, which is basically – Detroit light. It, back then, essentially, it was, right? Like now it's, it's a different story. The was Detroit. Yeah, it's like two or three streets in. They're like, it's mm-hmm. basically fucking Detroit. You can, yeah, yeah. you can do – I don't want this one, right? So yeah, I did a few suburb deals. But everything I did was in Detroit. So that's what I mean by being myopic sometimes. I did miss a lot of opportunities in the suburbs, but I learned a lot about Detroit real fast too. So like, remember when you're giving and taking and what you're deciding to do, I just went all in on Detroit. I was like, I drove every street, I bought mm-hmm. maps of it. At one point, we coded it with green, yellow, and red, right? Like, you no, know, 13,000, 14,000, 15,000 block, just like that, all yep. across the city. Which Detroit's a big ass city, by the way. It took months to drive the whole fucking thing while doing other things. This is right? pre like yeah. iPhone and pre digital. Yeah, you're printing maps, maps and shit. And yeah. I still have in my office the giant, probably eight foot by four foot map of Detroit that you gave me yep. that still has your color coding on it. Yeah, you like too. that? Yeah, yeah, I still have it in the office. I refer to it every single week actually. It's good to have, especially in the beginning when you're having a hard time visualizing the city and you're like, wait a second, what street? You go, oh, yeah, that area. And you could just kind of make it simple, block it off, right? That's kind of how I learned Detroit. Buy these maps, break it down, be systematic. Is it an A, B, or C neighborhood? Is it a green, yellow, or red street? And that was the the code we we used. And we just – this is what we did. Nice. And there were thousands of REOs on the market. And nobody wanted them. Nobody wanted them. I was fearless to a fault. And we took that Detroit was the Detroit was the fuck tough. out of it. Everybody oh. ran scared in that time. Yep. But the people like you that were seeing seeing the opportunity, it got worse and it got pretty scary, obviously. But fuck, there was a lot of opportunity. Being Best made deals there. ever. We're never. I, if we ever see them again, we'll be lucky. And I hate to wish for that to happen, to anybody, because I know all the destruction of wealth and everything right. else like that. Um. <laughs> Amazing. I bought houses that didn't even work for $7,000. I bought a house that had $50,000 in cherry cabinets in the kitchen for $26,000. Right? It's insane. In Detroit. Brick. 
2,500 square, a beautiful granite, three bathrooms. Like, well, I don't know where else you're going to do this stuff, right? I look now at all you, the ones that I missed. You got to sort through like a ton of stuff. And we had an enormous operation going, right? So here's how we did it. We had an agent's. Um, right. A hundred offers at least a week, right? Whatever got accepted is what we went and looked at. Yeah. Right. And then the ones we liked after we looked at them, we would do a whole bunch of shenanigans, beat the price up even lower. And then we close on these ones. So this is just what we do every day. Yep. We got agent. We got something like four to 600 offers a month going out. We're going house, 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 sorting through, sorting through, doing all that. I don't know anything about business, anything about planning. I don't even use a fucking calendar, Steve. Um, and I proceed to sell every fucking thing I can get my hands on with no money. And it was reckless and stupid and all this other stuff, but also highly successful. I don't know what my return on my investment was with that $50,000. All I know is there were multiple times during 2008 where I didn't even have a chance for one title company to wire me the money before I had to buy another one. Many times I was wiring money from one title company to the other title company <laughs> to close. And I was missing closing dates by days or even yeah. weeks because I don't have the money. And I would go out and go, okay, we're buying these three houses. And then Gina would be like, you haven't sold these seven houses. And we don't have any more money. I was like, well, I guess I got to go sell these houses so we can buy these. And this is just how I did it. Yeah. Right. And, and I, okay. So now I'm back on the phone selling these fucking houses. Yeah. Right. We get l- kind of lucky, kind of not. So my partner convinces me to start a blog. He says, we need to start a blog. The internet's getting big. I shit all over his idea. Right. Cause I'm like, we need to be picking up the phone. What we need to be doing is dialing more. And if we dial more, we'll get more deals. And I don't know anybody wants to read about anything on the internet, right? Like, <laughs> as we're talking on a podcast right now, but this was literally my attitude. I was a late adopter on cell phones too. Yeah. Like I was going in the forest, my ax, my woman, we're going to have kids and dogs and everybody else can fuck off. Right. I don't want to answer the phone. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't in my vocabulary. I hunted and fished and that's, that's what I did. So I, I became a new person um, adopting all this technology and doing all this new stuff, but I was weak everywhere else. I just had no idea how to do any of it, but we maximized everything one to the other. And I would regularly go commit to buy houses. Then I would turn around and have to go sell houses. Sometimes we'd have to go book a trip. I'd have to spend some money to go to a conference, spend two grand to go to a conference, go to the conference, sell three houses, make $35,000, try and get them to close before the next one comes. Yada, yada. It was an intense, very fun year in a lot of ways, but uh, I never should have done that to my wife. That poor woman, like every second week we were wiping every bank account to buy something. Like we grew so fast, right? Millions of dollars of real estate in one year, right, with hardly any money. But the way to do that was so crazy and it means we didn't pay bills sometimes. Like just – and I wasn't a talk. It was just we're doing this, right? Yeah. So it's a totally mm. wrong way to do it. I don't know anything about that. I don't even keep track of paperwork and shit like that, right? Like I was a, a mess. But taking massive action too. This blog – Somehow, I don't know how, Greta Guest from the Detroit Free Press at the time reached out to me because of this fucking blog and said, you moved 
from out of state to do Detroit and real estate. And I'm like, this is the single greatest opportunity I've ever had. I sell the shit out of it. I think some of the things I say, I have to go back and look. I say, investing in Detroit is like driving around in my truck and shoveling diamonds into the back of it. Like I was, <laughs> I sold that shit hard. I took her around. I showed her the houses. She took pictures. Uh, I think it's going nowhere. It dies for weeks. I hear nothing. Anyway, we're only supposed to be in the real estate section of the Detroit Free Press. Anyway, never going to happen. She's like, I'll tell you when it's coming. Months pass. We're at a conference. Sell some more houses. Get off the plane. Turn my Blackberry on. And it blows up. And you just start going through this. Bro, you're on the front page of the Detroit Free Press. Oh, my God. Along with my website, oh, wholesalemi.com, who my partner had the foresight to have a Weber with a screen pop up, and everyone who goes would have to enter their email address if they wanted to make it go away. <laughs> Our 450 buyer list and all the cold calling I was doing overseas um, and out of state, all the western states, all that shit, all the traveling, the conferences, it all came to a stop. Our buyers list in one year went from 450 to over 6,000. And it became an inbound thing at that point in time. All I was doing was scheduling, scheduling to talk to people, <coughs> scheduling to talk to people, partnering with people all over the world to sell to their groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in Australia, New Zealand, England, France, Germany, Italy, Israel. I had people, um, even one guy in Spain. We did a whole bunch of resort stuff all over the world for mostly English and Australian retirees, right? Some people out of Hong Kong. I realize this economy is global because uh, nobody in Detroit or Michigan will buy anything in Detroit. So I'm yep. like, fuck you. I'll sell it to everybody else, yep. which is still how I feel, especially the ones crying about how it's all changing. Mm-hmm. Buy something or shut the fuck up. I'm not paying attention. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. You can keep crying. That's what I think. You had your opportunity to buy this shit and do all these things, and you still do. Mm-hmm. So shut your pie hole and get back to work. Or, yeah, I sold hundreds of houses to people all over the world. I'm going to continue doing so. So it's a global economy. I sold out of state. Almost nobody. I, didn't, I, I think I sold less than 10 homes to somebody who lived in Michigan, Steve, until I met you. That's crazy. That I had to. That was like something like 300, 350 deals at that point, all out of state, all overseas, nobody investing in Detroit. The people mm-hmm. in Detroit and Michigan don't even think Detroit is no. worth investing in. So that's what we did. We did um, fix and flips, first-time home buyers. We did fix and rents. We did fix and land contracts at some point. I did a few small bulk deals as well. Some quick claim deed shit with the nonprofit I was working with, a bunch of short sales. We did all sorts of stuff. And uh, that came to a crashing halt. I had partnered with, you know, what is that saying? Like, if you can't figure out who the sucker is at the table, it's you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The dawning realization that not only were you fucked – that that was the plan from the beginning. And actually that was their business model. Really? And what these nonprofits did was look for people like my wife and I and exploit those relationships and then 
burn it down. We we were printing money, Steve. It, don't get me wrong. We had problems up the ass, right? Property management in Detroit even, back then was even more miserable, right? So it wasn't like any of this was easy money, but it was doable, mm-hmm. right? We we had systems in place. They weren't great systems, but they were functioning systems. We can buy a house at a good price. We could rehab a, a house at a great price with help from the Michigan uh, prisoner reentry program. We had first time home buyers from this nonprofit going through the whole thing for the state aid and all that. And I'm bought in. Save in Detroit. We're going to start a neighborhood at a time. We're going to start one house at a time. We're going to concentrate one neighbor, you know, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that is exactly not how it went. Lost my money, my family's money, my friend's money. Uh, I found out a lot of this stuff too from law enforcement, you know, because when they sit down, um, I, the only way I would talk to any of them was with immunity. So most of them I didn't talk to. Some of them, they wanted me to testify and give evidence against other people in it, which I did for immunity. They never used any of it. I think they did a plea bargain, mm-hmm. right? He got two and a half years. They didn't actually require any of it. But during that process is when you discover the true depth of the betrayal, right? And the worst part is my wife had figured it out before me and told me and I ignored her. Mm. So you want to talk about further poisoning a relationship. Yeah. Three times I had him caught and I backed off. So explain what, first of all, explain to the people that may have never heard what happened and then talk about that. How did you find out? How did Gina find out first? How did you find out? And then how did it all kind of shake out through that Gina was at the very beginning anyway, was running a lot of the numbers and doing a lot of the background work for Mishta prisoner reentry program. Okay. So this program was a pilot program by the state of Michigan. And the purpose was to try and reduce recidivism rate, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so you you go to prison, you get out nine out of 10 end up back in prison, like within a year, right? The statistics are horrible. So the idea was it's cheaper for the state to train these people and try and get them jobs and try and make them a useful part of society. If we could save a certain percentage of them for coming back, we don't have to spend the money to put them in jail. This could be a net profit situation. So they were actually paying this nonprofit to train these people, right? My wife did the numbers in the background. So she saw the shenanigans and the phone, like they always played off like mismanagement and they finally just kicked her out because they couldn't do what they wanted to do with her Mm. and then went and stole the money. Right. Um, We paid the nonprofit, even though they were paid to train them, we would pay the nonprofit to do the work on our houses. Right. Which they kept all that money too. I just want to tell you what they killed. Right. And then we would kick back a percentage to the nonprofit for the first time home buyers when they closed a good chunk of money. You know how Detroit goes, right? Mm -hmm. We have a machine printing money, right? We got REOs galore. Mm-hmm. I got guys who can work at houses at way below market rates. The profit all, margin is high. Tons of guys are out of work. Which is how I can time. afford furnaces getting stolen, windows yep. getting broken. Like, yeah, you got 50% returns allegedly, right? But you got shit getting stolen all the time, broken into. But that's why you could do that. The mm-hmm. profits were so big. You could afford all that, you know, we'll call it the fog of Detroit instead of the fog of war, right? Just trying right. to work your way your way through that and a lot of the buyers were were fake they were paying a buyers a percentage with their credit score and faking them through all the stuff from the state for the down payment they never lived in the house they faked the payments 
you know the drill. They uh, would not do the repairs or fix up the house and keep the money and send fake pictures. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it was even deed fraud, wire fraud. I saw some deeds, several deeds, six or seven deeds on houses where they forged my signature and sold them to people overseas. Um, that's what they did. Wow. And the kind of guy I am is I had I had it all in, right? That's part of part of how you grow fast is the longer you're willing to delay your gratification, the faster you can grow. Mm-hmm. And I can delay gratification for a long time, and I did, and we rolled all of our money into it. So then when shit starts going wrong, we start fixing stuff. I basically just push my partner out. He's not showing up to work anyway. He's only putting in maybe six to eight hours a day. Now we got to start putting our money back in and he doesn't want to put money back in. He doesn't want to fix things. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. So I basically shit can him, push him out. I'm not proud of it. We ambushed him and then pushed him out to control of everything. That's how I felt about it. The level of resentment I had at the time. Uh, not proud of it, but that's exactly what we did. And we throw ourselves in this thing trying to fix it. And it was ultimately not fixable. And that one was bad because it wasn't like the first time where it was fast. Right. This is like over a year and a half. And the, so this is from what you – when is this time period that this This is starts like at the tail end of 2010, very beginning of 2011, and stretches till about halfway through 2012. And this was, I think this is the around the time I first met you or that our paths. Yeah, you sort came to crossed. Renegade Detroit Investors. It was like mm-hmm. 2011. 11. And I'm that's to back. speak about short sales. And yeah, I the other shithead you were working Called with. off. Yeah, yeah, my shithead. Yeah, you had, you had a shithead too. You got that. out way cheaper though. <laughs> Still dealing with it though. Like oh, yeah. You. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't run and hide and file bankruptcy like they did or go to prison either, thankfully. But yeah. Yeah, still battling out of mind, but you're the Tom's is quiet over there. I know. I want to bring him into this. Yeah, I'm wondering when the other shoe's going to drop for me. Like, oh fuck! But really <laughs> yeah. evaluating my life. To throw something in. Yeah. Well, thankfully, it's just me, so I'm pretty sure I'm not going to fuck myself, right, <laughs> on purpose. You hope? <laughs> no, God I'm just trying that, to. Mark. I mean, this is the first. So the land, you know, you're working with the with the prison. It's it's the actual nonprofit that's doing the screwing, and all of them, and um, some of my. This was the worst part, right? Because um, I'm an all in motherfucker. It's just how I do business, right? You're with me, or you're against me, or yep. at least neutral, right? That's how I am with my clients. It's just I don't. It's not any different. Like I don't even want to work with you if we can't be friends. Or at least somewhat professional, almost friends. A lot of them I consider family. Right. So I was helping them out. We're investing in each other's lives. We're doing things all the time. And you realize you were the mark and they did this to you. And all these people that were supposedly your friends are not your friends. They fucked you on purpose for money. And that you were the sucker and that you were the mark. Right? So to what you thought were like best friends. Mm Mm-hmm. To you were a schmuck. It was fucking humiliating. And then in front of my wife too, right? Who was right like four or five months before I was, who I ignored and didn't listen to, made excuses for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, nah, it's not how it is, whatever. You know, you know the shit you do. So that was 
That was that was pretty rough, and it took a while to find out. I remember I lost my mind again. Part of the scam was we had some legitimate ones because in order to take advantage of them, you had to build up trust, right? Which is why I do the same thing every time now, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't care who I'm doing it with. The process is the process. If your partner's in a business, this is my old line of thinking, and we're splitting profits, why would you go lie to me about the work being done? Why would you lie to me about the tenants, right? Well, you would if you're a criminal and you wanted your half and then you wanted to steal more of mine, right? right? But that was not how it was thinking. It was like – so we had several that went right, lots of them that went right before they can start implementing their plan. They had a level of trust where I wasn't physically checking every one of them like I had been before or somebody from – my company had before – I caught one of them at one of these properties trying to collect rent. Two months after we had broken up, I told him not to deal with anything, and I lost my mind. Mm. I threatened to kill his fat fucking ass. It's like I, I, I said horrendous shit. I think part of what I said, if I even see you drive on one of the streets where I have a fucking house, I'm going to kill you. Like it literally drove me insane again for a while, like just no sleep working all the time. And then two months after I catch him, I'm trying to fix all this shit and all our money's going back into it. And I'm still selling stuff. So I get more money to fix more people's shit. And I catch this fat motherfucker slipping up on one of my houses to try and steal $600 in rent. I just happened to be there. No wonder so many of those ones didn't work out. I fucking lost my mind. Yeah. I went nuts. <clears throat> uh, now I think back to that one too. And I was like, I don't, I don't even recognize that person. Like who was that person doing that? But I did. Mm-hmm. And Gina was just fucking terrified. Right. Cause I just was I something out of fucking discovery channel on this guy. You should have right. seen him how fast this fat 400 pound motherfucker waddled his way as fast. He could back to his truck, peel off. <laughs> I don't know what I look like, <laughs> but he was two and a half times bigger than me, and he just hot as fast as he could. And I was walking to him with a with a stream of obscenities. Just I don't know, but man, it's embarrassing to say, but I fucking did it. I think it was like all the humiliation. Like you really the gall you're going to come back again? I guess I have to fucking kill you. Yeah, was what I was thinking. I was like, I'm fucked anyway, right? Now I look at it, I'm like, Jesus Christ, maybe you had a gun, you know, like, just get a hold of yourself, Jeremy. What's $600 at this point? <laughs> Millions of dollars, and you're going to lose your shit over $600 of, you know, like, yeah. the proportionality there, just not there. I'm losing, that's how I knew, like, it was like a couple of weeks after that, I was like, I, I need some distance from this. Like, I'm just way, way too fucking close to it, but... Detroit will make you lose your mind sometimes if you're not prepared for it. I actually try and talk most people out, out of, of Detroit. <clears throat> yeah. I you got to be like a medium risk minimum just to even work in Bagley, mm-hmm. Rosedale Park, East English Village. Yeah. And if you're not high risk, those are the only areas Stay you should be. Stay the fuck out yeah. of everywhere else. Yeah. And then you're fine and you can handle it if you are. You know, I had to build up to it. I had to kind of build a resistance, like inoculating, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I think it was probably more the betrayal of the friends. And it's where I learned, you, you know, you have, you have to be loyal to values, not people. Yeah. And so long as people are loyal to those values, you can be, you can, you can be loyal to them and rest assured you're doing the right thing. Right. right? And I was not, I was loyal to people, not to the values. And that was a mistake. Well, you also, you said, you used to say this to all the time back Riding around in that big old truck of mine through the streets of Detroit, trying to good times find houses. Um, 
you were a bad judge of people. Yes. Like you couldn't read people to who they truly were. Like you would, you'd say that all the time. Like you were just, you're like, I, 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 th- I thought these people were, were great and apparently I'm a bad judge of character. Well, when you met me, I was still pretty meek and mild. You were at, at probably your, one of your lowest. I mean, I had to make money and I was still not ready to get back into it, frankly. But no, I think I that's true of all of us. You threw me in the first appointment. I followed you around like a puppy, learning everything I could. And it was like two and a half months later. You're like, nope, you're going on this one. Yep. That was it. I, I was not ready for that either. But I, no, I was not ready to start and do any of that stuff. I wasn't psychologically ready. I wasn't physically ready. I, I wasn't ready at all, but I didn't have a fucking choice. Right? Mm-hmm. I waited too long to start. So I had to do it despite how I felt about it and, and everything else. And also, what was I going to do? I spent a lot of time thinking too, like, Fucked up all my friends and family. I'm a shit ton of money, right? I ruined my reputation. I look like a schmuck. I embarrass and humiliate myself. And it's like, well, what am I going to get a job? What am I going to do? Fry donuts out of my problem, right? And at the time, too, the economy was just starting to recover. But I've been out of the workforce since 2005. Uh, I haven't even been an engineer since 2000 right like what am i gonna go do yeah no college education i can make a lot of money in real estate i know this area i know this market so i kind of like this is the way out you know the you made mistakes you just can't make the same mistakes jeremy but this is still nothing changed you know coming to that realization that the goals didn't change the timeline got extended dramatically right Mm -hmm. so the runway is a lot longer now (laughs) (laughs) but the goal is still the same and where else can i make this kind of money without a degree yeah this is just a hustle right this is as much work and as times you spend building skill and doing these things and it could be yours um no school to go to for it you can either go learn to do it or it's like a trade right you can go learn this trade with somebody it's kind of like an apprentice and then you can go do this and you can make money doing this and you can make a shit ton of money doing this right you got to work a lot it's hard so the plan was the same right get back in but i didn't know shit about wholesaling like i had wholesaled one deal one assignment i didn't know that with wholesaling Mm-hmm. It's like you did an assignment. It's like the thing you do sometimes. Yeah. That's all I thought of it. Like I was – and I never talked to sellers. You didn't talk to sellers. Why would I talk to sellers? Short sales, pre-foreclosures, yeah. REOs. REO heavy. No reason <clears throat> to talk to sellers. So now I got to re-enter the market and the market's entirely different, right? I was completely buyers before. Yeah. All I deal with are buyers from 2005 through 2012. And this is probably fall of 2013, maybe? Summer. In the summer. So right when I July, first started wholesaling then. Okay. July, and uh, we closed our first deal August. Okay. So you were with me then pretty much right in the beginning of my wholesaling You we did journey, basically. Yes, on your own anyway. You yeah. Done, yeah, um, yeah. You, you had your first year on your own because you showed me in Zoho. And you showed me the number of deals you did, and you showed me oh, the yeah. projects, and you showed me the pending, and then you showed me all the leads you needed somebody to call. Yeah. And I was like, from somebody who didn't know anything about business or systems, but had a lot of drive and hustle and knowledge and price and know-how, 
I was pretty attracted to that. I was like, Steve's got some shit going on over there. He could, ah, I see where he's in. Oh, he knows how many postcards, dude, the calls. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, this is the guy I need to go work for. I don't know if you remember this, but you had a package of three in Detroit. And you just took a shot at it. You're like, I don't know yep. what I'm doing. I need a buyer. Right. Yep. I went and found a buyer for you. I negotiated $3,000 for myself. You came to pay me. I gave you $2,000 back and said you should hire me instead and I'll do whatever the fuck you want me to yeah. do. <laughs> I remember it vividly. It was, in, I, it was in your driveway. Yep. Gene is sitting on the little rock retainer wall you have there. I remember the conversation. I remember handing you the check and being like, let's go. Let's do it. And just being like, this guy – is different. Like it wasn't just about dollars. I, Cause I've trained people before. I'd had people that I, many people that wanted to come and work with me and, you know, pick my brain and all that fun stuff. Um, this was the first guy that actually did something first and then was like, can you show me a little bit more of this? Like, yes. Yes, I can. Cause I made money. He made money. And now I have a new, opportunity too. the whole city of Detroit has opened up to me where everyone else is running away. Jeremy and I are like the good old days. Let's fucking we start walking Detroit, man. It was fucking great. It was great. Yeah. I, some of those days driving around. So I, I would drive down from Lapeer. I had a, like a 2000 or a I know your fucking gas bill. I Silverado. Don't know. How many miles of the Big gallon did you get with that thing? Out like of 12? Yeah. Like, I, don't I, don't know. Know. <laughs> I was like, how could you even afford to drive here? I was so fun. I didn't even have a fucking car. I had to drive around with you everywhere. I'm like, Jesus. And I do a wholesale a week to put gas in that thing. I just wanted, A, I wanted company in the car driving through the city. Because I would, this was so such a waste of money, but. The experience of doing it was so beneficial. So I never shit on people that do this anymore. I used to really give people a hard time. But when leads come in, even if I never even talk to them, I'd make a whole list and drive by a bunch of them. Just drive by the houses, look at the house. You know, now we can use Street View. In 20, 2013, that was not I know. It's really because we have it good. so good now, man. Fucking now, Google, it was like shit. last year. It was the last time the picture was taken. Yep. In 2013, you, you had were, to drive it. You were lucky if the picture was from 20. I think like know, less than 20% of it was done. I remember. It was hardly any of it. And the pictures that were up were so old, you don't know if that house was even still standing yep. because most of them weren't at the one, you know, at that time. So. Just getting this big ass truck and driving through it, pfft, just the shitty roads and in, in half of these neighborhoods and kind of mapping the city, kind of like kind of like you'd done before. I kind of went through that process too and dragged him along with me. Um, but every appointment I had in the city, I'd take Jeremy with me. Um, then he started taking the photos, and then, like you said, now you're doing this one. And then it was, I think it was a good solid year or year and a half where you were like my guy, like the yep. go-to acquisition. It took me guy. about six months to where I didn't suck too bad. Right? Now you were, you don't give yourself that much credit. You, you came out of the gate doing well, but you hit your stride after a few months and it was, didn't feel like I did it was that great. well. It took me, it felt it, from my personal experience, it felt like, Took me about six months. I wouldn't even say to be comfortable, but to not feel like a fraud, mm. right? And then really like a year to where it was 
you know, like almost like ingrained memory. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you remember how many hours we'd spend and I would tell you what they told me. No. And then you would give me three or four different things mm-hmm. and you would grill me and we do it. Like I took this shit seriously. I was starving. Like we needed money. Yeah. So it was like, I'm leaving with contracts and shit. Cause you left with like almost half the contracts. Yeah. And when I started, I wasn't getting any, any kind. I had to work up to that. And I was like, fuck, how do I get these contracts, man? I'm yeah. going to all these appointments. I need to get, I need to get some fucking contracts. Yeah. The only thing worse than going on the appointment is leaving without the contract if yeah. you could have said the right thing or make them decide. Mm-hmm. Or just don't leave until they're like, you did okay, that. Okay, you go. I've, told, I've told people so many of those stories. And like, they don't believe you. It's like, no, we sat there for 25 minutes until they literally fucking signed. I watched the whole thing. I couldn't believe it when it was happening. I just stood there. It's like, why would, why would I go? You have a buyer right here in front of you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's better than nothing. Well, you really think the next guy would just yeah. over and on and every object. And then, then they sign. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. You know? Well, we want to think about it. Well, what exactly do you want to think about? Yeah. I'm right here. I can answer any question that you have. You know. Well, you'll be proud. I've been so shameless. They'd be like, "Well, I'd like to talk to my son about it." No problem. What's Give him a call on his cell phone. <laughs> I do I'll that. Step I pull outside. my phone out. I'll 100 do that. We can call him right now if you want. And he's like, "I'm not comfortable doing that." And I was like, "There's really no reason why not. If you don't get a hold of him, don't worry about it." Right? She actually did sign. So, nice. like, yeah, yeah, you would have been proud, right? So I, but I had to learn. Yeah, all that because you now, folks, you can't make them do what you want, but you can make them decide. A lot of times, what Steve taught me, the reason why they're there is they can't decide. Exactly. So your job is to get them to say yes or no, not this willy nilly float your offer. Maybe let me think about it. Like no, and then in, if you don't get the contract the first time, you're very unlikely to get the contract. So instead of doing hours of follow up, spend more time trying to get the contract the first time. So yep. I learned a lot. Yes is great. No is okay. Yep. Maybe is unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, the process. The that's exactly right. You got to have. And a real no, too. Not like a yeah. fake no. We yeah. all know the difference. So, yep. yeah. So, yep. you mean you went through all that with Steve and you could have just bought him a cup of coffee to get all that, right? Is that, <laughs> is that how that goes? Let me buy you a cup, well, cup of coffee. Well, I, I wanted yeah. to learn. I wanted to learn. Right. That's pretty apparent from the story. I mean, well, and I knew the only way I was going to learn was to make him as much money as I could. Right. 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 Well, the only way to get taken extremely seriously is to provide value. Yes. Right. right. Capital letters serious. Otherwise, I was going to get whatever I put into it. Right. right. I wanted a lot out of it. I had big expectations about what I wanted to learn. At the time, I was still thinking so small and far of numbers and all that. Mm-hmm. But I was, I wanted to learn the business and. I think the best way to learn the business is at the bottom of everything. If you yep. start at the bottom and go through the top, you, you're going to know the business. Yep. A lot of it was humility. Steve knew things I didn't know, not just wholesaling, but how do you run a business? It's silly to say, but I sold like 300, 350 houses with no sales process, no script, no idea of closing, like like no, no real process, just mm-hmm. sheer brute force hustle and determination learning there actually is a process right and it's you can make it predictable repeatable repeatable right this was very like wait i just don't throw my my idea before is you just grind and then count what you have at the end of the year right yeah yes i made money this year yeah let's not keep this shit too complicated right you know i'm like wait a second so we could project into the future and we know if we spend this amount of money so we know we need to have to make this many calls and then we go on this many appointments and 
I'm like, oh, shit, I want to learn how to do these things. Well, and then knowing those things, you know when something's off. If you know, well, wait a minute, usually we go on four appointments. I'm bringing back two contracts. Why do I only have one contract? Why do I, we we have four appointments and no contracts. What happened? What, what is different? What happened in this process? And then you dive into that further with, was it the lead? Was it just bad luck? Was it, did you do something wrong as the salesperson? Did, was it, was it an appointment that should have never been set in the first place? But you can't get to that point. And if you don't know what your numbers are on a regular basis and you don't track that stuff on a regular basis. So what was, yeah, you gave me like a business, uh, it's not even a 101, it was more like a 303, <laughs> you know? I had to skip 101 and 202 <laughs> and just jump in the deep end with 303 and just saw how you did it. Okay, we do these, you're doing these letters. These letters goes out, we get these calls on these days, we set these appointments, these letters go out, these, we get these calls, we sell contract, and there's a rhythm and a yep. process. And If you stop doing this, what happens? Yeah, you can't stop any one part of it. This the thing is a machine. Gears grind to a halt. It doesn't matter if... If D didn't work out, we, we still have to do A, but let's make sure we're – why didn't D mm-hmm. work out? We don't stop. And this whole rhythm and process to it, as silly as it sounds, I'm like, holy shit. I really wanted to learn that too. And then also the suburbs. That's really when I realized driving around with Steve and getting out of Detroit and seeing that stuff. When we did that uh, – what was it? Like $35,000 wholesale duplex we did in mm-hmm. Taylor. I was like – Oh, I Westland, like the I fuck think. Westland. Yeah. I was like, I like the fucking suburbs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good wholesale yeah. check we split. And I'm like, and I didn't know shit. We did a few really the, good ones like that. We did we several. It was about Westland, once a quarter. That's exactly what it was. You know, it was a lot of five grand, five yep. grand, ten grand, one grand, twelve grand, fourteen grand, and then bam, thirty-five grand. Yep. Then five grand. You know. Yep. That's why I tell that's people if you just keep. Going, you're at bats. You're gonna yep. at least once a quarter if you're diligent, because it's what it was for us, right? Yep. You will smack one, and they were almost always in the suburbs. So now it's like, now I better they were get my the absolute easiest deals. Almost every time, the biggest deals I get are the easiest ones to do. The front side with the seller is smooth and easy. Selling them is super easy. Generally, it's a it's a bidding war at that point. It's how much can I make? You guys just fight it out. Battle it out in the octagon and we'll see who's left standing. <laughs> Whoever's left standing gets the contract. Uh, hey, it's the Ultimate Fighter real estate version. Yeah. <laughs> real estate edition. Um, and man, it, they just, I don't understand it. The little thousand and two and three thousand dollar deals are so fucking hard sometimes. But those home runs, it's like you just stand up there and you get that perfect yep. swing. It's inversely in proportional. The other thing is you're always in rhythm. You notice it's when you're you're in a good vibe and you're you're, there is. you're doing well. You're there's doing a the rhythm marketing. to your whole week. Yep. You it's like you and know you sudden, know what you're doing what day. Bam. Yep. And you're going on and and I got with your help I became very disciplined. That's actually where I always did cold calls, right? But I, I don't consider what I did before. Uh, as much a discipline because I did lots of things. And one of the things I did was cold calling so much. I didn't consider it prospecting. I was always trying to sell, right? Now, I learned a lot about how to sell, but I didn't think of it and the way I've come to to know and understand it now. Um, God, how do I explain this? Sometimes when I'm trying to walk through my my head when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, 
if you're not tracking things and paying attention to evidence and you suffer a couple of failures, what it does is it kind of creates a general anxiety about what you know and what you really don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this, I had this struggle, like, well, I didn't track anything, Steve. I knew I was successful. I sold a shit ton of houses. I made a shit ton of money. I lost a lot of money. I couldn't hire employees. I couldn't track things. I couldn't put it in a calendar. There all these things I couldn't do. But I know I had done some things right uh, by the evidence that you just don't get that much money. You don't buy that many. Like I'd done – but I wasn't sure what I really, really knew and what I really, really didn't know. And starting working for you and going through that process was coming at the tail end of peeling off what I don't know and kind of going from before where I would pretend to know things and be arrogant or know things or be myopic or not think things through. It's just my defaults. I don't know. What do I know? Mm-hmm. And actually, it was kind of like a paranoia, almost like a fear. Like it became an obsession. Like, well, what, what do I really know? So... That, if you want to know how important it is to track things, if you track things, it becomes very apparent what isn't working and what's not. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you become a slave to evidence, which is exactly what you, you should be, right? You're, it's not, you don't ignore your emotions or you don't feel them, right? It, but without the tracking, you really don't know. So I kind of had to resort through my skills. What were my skills? What weren't my skills? What do I really want to do? What, I, what do I know? What do I not know? What do I need to learn? Right? It was a lot of humility. I need to go work for someone. I don't know how to run a business. I don't know how to really do sales. I sold a lot of shit. What works? What doesn't? That was like my sorting out process. And I'm very kinetic that way. It's how I think the apprenticeship master model makes sense for a lot of people. We're not all Josh Sterling's, you know, right. like some we love them. We're glad they're out there. Mm-hmm. We need them. We need those people. We need as many of them as we can. But I wasn't going to accident my way into a successful business. I'll be like, I can't do this a third time. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to be this hard. No idea. So I'm like, I got to learn. Mm-hmm. The apprenticeship master model and how it works is you add insane value to your master and in exchange, you get to learn. And what you learn is way more valuable than the money you get. And what you're giving them should be way more valuable than the money they receive. And well, th- this worked for me too. It's like a master's, it's like a master class. It's like a master's degree that you get paid for, not that you show out. And what's best for, for Steve it. is oh, what's for. best for me. What's best for Joe is what's best for me. Right. It's a humility, right? You are you are subject to mm-hmm. the other thing and the death of ego, right? But not then I got to learn how to do those things. But the actual process, you came in at the end and I was still like, shit, I think I'm still sorting it out to a certain extent, but it was still a real mixed bag. I didn't have a lot of confidence at the time either. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to like relearn that confidence and it took me a while because I, I, I was i felt like whatever foundation i'm building on now i need to know is strong and real like i need to know i wanted to test it i didn't just want to think it's true 
I wanted to show myself it was true. Like I had a lot of insecurity about what I really knew and what my skills were and what I could accomplish. And I was like, well, let, let's just go see, right? Oh, whatever. We'll throw it out. Let's just go see this used to work. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, I don't know. I did this before, yeah. right? You throw a lot of stuff away when you start doing that. Right. And it's freeing too. Once you get, so it's, it's, it was miserable for me to get to that point. But then when I got there, it's like pulling, taking your backpack off and realizing you don't need 90% of it. Yeah. And you put it back on, you're like, holy shit, this is so much easier. Yeah. I just dumped 60 pounds and now I'm actually having a good time walking through this. It didn't happen all at once, but, but that's how I was like peeling the layers off my brain as, as an experience as I'm doing this too. Which is kind of why I, I approached it in that obsessive manner, which I did, even though I had no confidence. I'm like, well, maybe I'll find it. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of like, you did. Yeah. Maybe I will find the confidence. Like, yeah. no, I don't really, I don't, I'm not certain I have, I don't think I, well, maybe Let, let's go see. So, yeah. No, I, I mean, the, the guy that climbed into my truck in two, 2013, 2014, and the guy that's in this room now in 2019 is like completely different. Totally different. This, the, the, Inside is still there because that guy was still there too. Smart. Like you, yeah, you go, well, this used to work or I used to do this. Those little things that he would throw out like to, to me as that was valuable to me as a business owner and it was freeing for you obviously too. Um, but yeah, that, well I got to like, you have two people to do it with now, yeah. right? You well, can sort through a lot of shit a lot yeah, faster. Right. Right. You, you got, yeah. well, let's go see. I used mm-hmm. to what? Opportunity, Steve. What do Let's you think, go. Jeremy? Well, I used to X and then we go, sometimes it didn't work out. Yep. And then like, oh, that does sometimes work. Yep. Ah, oh, and then you, I got a little bit more confident. Another tool in your tool belt. And then I like, felt a little better too. Cause I really, I, I, I wanted to make sure Steve was getting good value. I realized, by the way, if you're starting, Steve was not like this. So don't take it this way, but this is the reality of the situation. My problem wasn't Steve's problem. I had the fucking problem. Right. Steve had more leads than he could handle. Don't get me wrong. That is a problem, but it was a very different problem than the problem <laughs> I had. Steve decides not to call these leads. Steve makes the same money he made last year. Maybe Steve's not happy about it, but of no real consequence mm-hmm. as far as, you know, Jeremy Burgess is concerned. So I had the fucking problem. It's like, I need to make sure. That whatever value I'm extending here is real and valuable. And I had a lot of insecurity about that too. So I was like, I'm going to over deliver. I still kind of have that mentality, right? Like, I think that's a great mentality to have though. If, Cause if you're always going out there and I learned a lot from you in that regard where <clears throat> I, I try to live more that way now too, is provide the value. Don't expect anything in return. Yes. And then eventually you, something will come your way because you, if you go into things with that attitude of I'm doing this because I will get this something later, that's, you have to genuinely come from uh, a, a generous open heart basically and, and giving, you know, go giver type of uh, mentality because when, in my experience, the times that I've genuinely done that, it's come back so much greater and I feel better about the situation anyways when I go into something like I need to do this because I need X, either it blows up, I, it never happens, and I waste a bunch of time because I'm going into a selfish, uh, with a selfish mindset. So, I mean, I've learned a lot from you in that in that go giver, provide value first um, mentality. And then, of course, Gary V, who 
I think I learned about from you. Yeah. And I was following Gary B from back in the day. He's been my mm-hmm. – I don't know what it was about him, but I felt like he spoke right to me. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. I am going to go fucking do that. That's kind of how the podcast started. I also – the podcast started because I wanted to – everything I had learned from you, part of how I learn is I then go – reteach it mm-hmm. right and in order to teach it i had to write it all out think about it put it together kind of put like a syllabus together and once you do that it's in my head forever now yeah right but yeah. until i i just couldn't until i had actually done it i just had this itch and now i realize it's actually part of my process which is mm-hmm. why i have that strong urge to do it i'd say like the way I'm going to process this is I'm going to do it in six part series in front of people. I don't know why I chose that, but I think it was now I'm committed to it. I better go sit down and figure yeah. out how that and how I did that was just riding around and copying every goddamn thing Steve did <laughs> and then coming back and writing it down and what works, what doesn't work. And then just kind of, okay, what's the least they could know too? Cause you could just go on and on forever, mm-hmm. right? There's no Keep end. Short. We could, you could probably write a thousand page wholesale book at this point in time, but what motherfucker's going to read it yeah. too? So I was really yeah. like, what's the least they had to know to fucking start, which is harder than you think. But going through that process for me, uh, built my confidence back. I was part of like, I do know it. Like I yep. can figure it out. This is the process. This is exactly what we do every single time. I know this is because we write it on the board. We got the paychecks. You look at all the closings. We yep. got the mail. Like, and then putting it all out there was it was it was like uh, I don't know what you would call it. Where you go when you go to college um, and you have to write a term paper or something at the end. Uh, oh, your doctorate or your like your PhD and you got to yeah. you submit. That was like my. Uh, I felt like that was like my wholesale thesis or something. Yeah, thank you, yeah, Steve. Thesis, thank yeah. you. <laughs> the guy didn't go to college. I, I went for three weeks, so don't hold that against me. Right? Yeah, I guess did I did you go? I did three college. quarters of a semester. I drove Damn. by colleges. I think I had more college than it. both of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was like my it was like my wholesale thesis or maybe opus. Yeah, I'm going with the literary. Uh, now I have no idea what that fucking uh, word is. Yeah. Now he's pulling out the big words. Uh, right. So uh, and then I felt a lot better um, about it, and I built up my confidence. So. It was great too. I mean, it, it broke it down. If you haven't seen it, it's it's brilliant. It broke it down s- small, bite sized pieces, and in different uh, for different budgets. Yes. So if you're flat broke, I have nothing. I'm eating out of the garbage. You Been can there. still go and make money yep. wholesaling. That was really important to me. Yep. I ha- I felt an obligation, not just to you, but this story is old as time, right? Businesses fail. Ventures fail. There are good times in life. There are bad times in life, right? Like, so part of what I could do was put like, put this tool back out there, right? One of my goals is, and I don't talk about this much, but I am an anarchist. I'm not going to go into too much about what that is, but I essentially believe in personal responsibility, Right. And the more freedom you want, the more personal responsibility you have to take on. And then the more responsibility you have to take on for your family members. And then once you do that, you need to extend your responsibility 
to your friends and neighbors, right? Like that this is what freedom means. And if you're not willing to do that, you are in a sense like a boat on the sea riding with the waves and the waves may take you somewhere you want to go. And for long periods of time, this direction was awesome. And now you're in Antarctica and what the fuck are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Right? Like in this whole thing, I, I, I want to encourage people because if you believe it, I think whatever you believe you act out, right? Then take personal control of your life. Right? So this is, so I felt this and then I love podcasts. I found out about podcasts from Steve. He had a fucking iPhone. I'm like, what is that? And he was showing me some shit on it. He was always like, hey, I listen to this. I sent me that. He would send me an email. He sent me a text with something. I'm like, I, I had an Android at the time. But I'm like, podcast? What? I'm like, oh, this is radio about stuff I actually care about? Yeah. Holy, I, I can't remember the last time I listened to radio. And I start going through. I was like, this is the best fucking shit ever. That's like, oh my god! And I go through. I did a ton of shit on YouTube. That's how I found Gary V. But then going through podcasts and their sales podcasts and real estate mm-hmm. podcasts and business and oh my god! And this world came open up. I'm like, oh, I could do that. Yep. What do I? What do I really need to do that? And then, of course, Steve actually did fucking radio. So I was like, I don't even need to know. I still I was don't kind know. Of a snob about the quality. <laughs> Thank God, right? Yep. Thank God. Think. It sounds great, doesn't it? 100 episodes later. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. So <clears throat> Never better. I didn't even need to know that. So and yeah. I, had to, I had to put it on the thing and I upload it to the cloud and we'll see if people we'll see if people listen. Yep. So and it worked. Take personal responsibility for your life. And then you can control more anyway. The illusion of control is also there, but you can direct better than without. And then you can extend it to your family, and then you mm-hmm. can extend it to your your neighbors, and so on and so forth. So, and I think when you approach it that way, for me, hard work becomes fun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you love what you do, it's never work. It's not that bad. And it doesn't mean I don't do things I don't like to do. I'm not saying that. We all have to do things we don't like to do. Every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, I have to talk to dumbass agents who call me about where the fucking lockbox is when they get a text and an email showing exactly where it is. And they just didn't read the fucking text or about the (laughs) alarm code. I don't like everything I have to do. And then sometimes I have to do nasty things to get people to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about overall. To get ahead, you have to work hard. And to do it in a manner where you can feel better about your hard work will make it easier for you to work hard. Yeah. That works for me. Like that's – Well, and I mean you're in control. It's you, it, you decide if you succeed or not for the most part. I feel like this is – when I realized that for the first time, I was like, so wait a minute. I don't have to come to this place I hate. Every day yeah. and work with people I don't yeah. like, that don't like me. I can ruin my own life. <laughs> All right. I can do this. You don't get to ruin my life anymore. I'm the one. If, if it's good, it's me. If it's bad, yep. it's me. If yep. it's okay, it's me. If it's maybe, it's me. No more you, though. You the know? first time I realized that I could make real money doing this, I could do that. I was like, wait a minute. This isn't some bullshit commercial with a dude by a yacht that he rented or – you know, no money down Carlton sheet stuff or no, this was someone came into my office where I was working doing this 
showed me how. And it's because of that, by the way, that little interaction that this guy showed me what to do is why I showed you, why I showed Dave or anybody. Well, in that sense, he's responsible for this. the podcast, isn't yeah. he? You should find that he's guy. responsible for a lot. Well, you I still have his in, number? I think he's in jail. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All the good ones are gone, Steve. <laughs> uh, but he opened my eyes to a world that I didn't really know existed and gave me the confidence that – because he was younger than me. Didn't have any more education than me. I mean, he's a smart guy. But, I mean, I have like a year of community college. I I wanted to do this for a living. Talk about sports or whatever, UFC, even though that wasn't really a thing back then. I, I wanted to talk about stuff for a living or be on TV or whatever. <clears throat> and wasn't good enough to do it, honestly. So... And didn't work hard enough to do it, didn't care enough to do it. I think that's almost always the case, right? Until you really commit to something, everybody sees you're just not working hard enough at yeah. it. You don't get the opportunities. They go to somebody else. You wonder why. Didn't care. Yeah. yeah, you just you weren't commit you you didn't do what was necessary. Yep. Nope. I didn't care and I and it showed probably clearly, right, to my bosses or whoever. And it was cutthroat too. Oh, right? it's brutal. Not only do you have to be good, but you got to be like, even if you're good, you're going to get, you fired. better be great. You yeah. will get fired. Even if you're great, you yeah. will get fired eventually. So you, you have to be bringing your AA game to be doing that. Yeah. You're bringing your D game. And I was working in Lansing. So I was working in a small market for shit pay, like minimum wage. I would work at the title. Co- I would for like two weeks, they fired the overnight guy. I worked, from midnight to 6 a.m., went and slept for an hour and a half in the parking lot at work, which was actually like two, three blocks away. It was very close at the title company, and then go into work for as long as I could keep my eyes open for. <laughs> and then my yeah. boss would say, You need to go home and get some sleep. I'd go home and sleep until 10 p.m. and get up and go do it all over again. It was only for a couple week period, but I was like, Okay, this sucks. And I'm still, I still only probably made. Maybe like $35,000 a year doing Reminds that. Reminds me what Gary Vee says. You tell me about your 9 to 5. Tell me about your 5 to 12, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about right so, there. Tell me about your 5 to 12. That made me realize I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this for a living. Um, radio was cool and all, and it was it was fun. But, I mean, you had to be really big to make good money, like really good money. You had to be in a big market. Uh, XM was just getting started at that time. Um, so I was thinking about, I was, uh, applied for and had conversations with joining XM. I was like, all right, this might be something, but it was like no man's land. Nobody wanted only people that had gotten fired and couldn't get jobs in radio worked at XM satellite radio. So I was like, all right. And then I figured out, um, real estate investing, like the people we rented a house from had bought it, fixed it up and they were selling it to us with like a lease to option, lease, lease option or whatever. You're like, holy so, shit. Okay, so real people are doing this. All right. So that kind of planted the seed. So real people are doing this? Yeah, it's not just people on TV or whatever. It's not a myth. Oh, I see people at TV. Like it, real, it. a family, you know, it was a, a guy and his two daughters. I was like, all right. And you know, money seemed right. Like they didn't seem like any. They, they didn't seem like rich. normal people. They were like my neighbors that I grew up with in Westland or whatever. They're just total normal. It could have been anybody from the neighborhood. You know, real estate really is the right. people sport. It yeah, really is. Yeah. yeah. So that was like, your next door okay. neighbor could teach you how to do real estate. We're yeah. in a fucking great country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So, 
But realizing yeah, seeing what possible is what's possible. Seeing what possible goes a long way. And with these yep. phones and everything now and podcasts, we that's a lot of leverage. And I think with that leverage and the right people taking on the right responsibilities, this mm-hmm. world can be a freer and greater place too, you know? I agree. A lot more successful as well. Yep. Well, I'm glad you got out of radio and taught me wholesaling, Steve. <laughs> me too. Me too. I bet you're pretty fucking happy, I'm too. Happy. Your paycheck's yeah, way happier. Much better. Yeah, minimum wage radio job. <laughs> fucking no thank you. I'd, I'd take a $1,000 shitty wholesale deal over that, right? The one yeah. you got to ring out for three weeks to make a grand. I'd still rather do that than go do minimum wage. I think that's, that would be three weeks pay. Maybe a month's worth. See that? See, it's all about perspective. Yeah. Line them shitty thousand dollar wholesale deals up. Do that up. shitty Detroit wholesale deal for two grand. And there used to be money. a house on this lot. You want it? <laughs> yeah, right. The grass is mowed recently. Look how fresh clean it is. Well, actually, that brought, brings me to another point about that accidental content. Um, I thought I provided a lot of value for that. One of the best videos we ever did. I always kind of wish you'd do more. Is remember that raccoon piss video we did? <laughs> God damn! I still think. That's the greatest YouTube video house walkthrough <laughs> of all time. And we'll, I'll go find it and I'll put the link. I know I've done this before. We've talked about way in the past on the podcast. Go back and listen to that episode too. I think we call it Raccoon Piss House. Uh, anyway, there's like a video too we did of a walkthrough and we planned it out ahead of time. And it's as good That's as you good. think it is. I won't ruin it anymore for you. There. <laughs> one we fucking did it. Take, we took the too. time. We figured it out. And we did it in one in one take. Content. We're all content generators now. Mm-hmm. And I read a book. I can't. I always forget who the author is. Maybe can you Google it for me, Tom's? Uh, show your work. And I took that was one of the things I, I rediscovered working with you because I don't know if you remember. I'd post pictures. I started. Mm-hmm. My wife didn't want me to. I didn't want to. But I didn't tag you in the first handful of closings we did together because you didn't yeah. want anybody to even know no. you were making money or wholesaling yep. or back in business. You got people coming after you for money and you're like trying to scrape out <laughs> like your neighbor multiple times. Just they see him come cut your electricity off and he goes, you know, you can come plug in your extension cord and plug your fridge and your computers in. Like we're doing that kind of shit. Yeah. So. Like motivation was extremely high to to end all that bullshit. Anyway, creating content, stumbling into it from a blog, from a partner, and now we can literally all be content creators and showing your work. I did it on accident. I cheesed it up too hard in Urban Detroit Wholesalers. I was selling hard. I didn't know any other way. It was just all over the top, right? But what I did accidentally do was uh, Detroit Investor TV. Mm. From the blog to Detroit Investor TV, and I moved from writing to video solely because it was easier to do a video than write. And I was working too much. And I went to this conference, learned how to create some content. Um, And in the early days of YouTube, I don't think I got more than 20,000 views across everything. But Detroit Investor TV sold at least 100 houses for me. Yeah. Wow. Just from a YouTube, eight-minute YouTube videos, and all I would do is talk about my day or show my day, right? Yep. So when we started again and I got some confidence up, I started posting pictures of signed contracts and closings. And I still not only do closings. Yeah. I do closing photos only. I don't post them all because I do sometimes forget to post them, but I post almost all mm-hmm. um, closing photos. And that's through showing your work. And I got to test that and implement that. 
that is your best advertising folks for sure show your work if you're showing it you don't have to tell people what you're good at look how look how great i am just show them what you can do yeah. show it's your not work bright, put it on social media it's just it's easy to do video who would have thought i think it was like 33 youtube videos could sell a couple hundred houses to international investors yeah who fucking knew who knew that when when gene and i one of the reasons gene and i moved to detroit was to network with other investors. We move here, we sign up with every RIA and meeting for a year. We just go and get a membership and we fucking hated them all. <laughs> they were terrible. I still hate them. And who knew that that itch and that desire to start renegade Detroit investors and start creating that content, we just wanted to hang out with people doing shit. Yep. And they weren't hanging out at the shitty RIA meetings, right, where the guys are hawking the stuff from the front. That one idea, to you go scratch your itch and create content that way, led to this entire network. The whole time I went through all this shit, I don't know how Gene and I kept up the whole pretense of renegade Detroit investors. I know I showed up looking like shit a lot of times. Like I know I showed up having not showered for a couple of weeks. Like I'm not kidding when I say this. Because I literally couldn't remember. I well, was you, so low sometimes. You like, left involuntarily one time. I got arrested. I got arrested at a renegade Detroit. Couldn't bring that up earlier, but then we lost the <laughs> we lost the spot. And I was like, well, I can't bring it up now. Was yeah. it caught right renegade back for before me. you got arrested? <sighs> we we were renegade from day one. Yeah, gotcha. I had partners, and they didn't like the name, and I said, "Fuck you, I'm right about this," and I was. You are. You were for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. I now. Whether I knew about it or not, or whether I was lucky, who knows? But I knew I was right. It what I didn't. I wanted a name that you couldn't associate with all these bullshit rias around. Yeah. Right. I wanted to be that different, and renegade seemed like the way to go. And yeah, it did have a slightly negative connotation, and I kind of wanted it to. You know, I think it sold me. I think the name. I when yeah. I first got started, I was looking at. It's like, do I want those schmucks coming to my meeting? No, I want the one who's like, I'm not going to that fucking. Well, maybe that renegade. Fuck yeah. these guys. I might go to that one. I was instantly drawn to it. Yep. Like I'm going to that yep. for sure. That sounds like. I think the something. first time I ever went was on 12 Mile at uh, the Silas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We moved around a lot. Oh, yeah. actually, we do a little renegade Detroit investor trivia. Do we want to do that? So. We started as Windy City Roundtable Detroit. My ex-partner had started. It was an offshoot of a Chicago one. Yeah. And he had never made any money, and he didn't put any work into it. And since Gina and I were so annoyed at these other meetings, we decided, okay, we'll partner with you on it, right? We'll rebrand it. We'll do our own thing. We're going to go be the anti-meeting meeting, right? We're going to do whatever fuck we want. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of ideas about how and – which is funny, right? You have ideas about how you want to do it, and then there's just what works. <laughs> yeah. But I was, like, really invested in him. So we take this thing over. So we started in Royal Oak at D'Amato's. And from there, we moved to Peking House in Royal Oak. And from Peking House, I always forget the name now. It's this place on Nine Mile in Ferndale. It's like a shitty Italian restaurant. And then from there to Sila's in Berkeley, and then Sela's in Berkeley to a coffee shop on Grand River in Detroit that I'll no longer mention their godforsaken fucking name. They changed it, I heard, anyway. Good. Don't go get coffee there. Well, do whatever you want. I'm just kidding. But he's a dickhead <laughs> and a douchebag, and I hate his guts. Um, to finally where we're at at Shields, P. 
pizza. So that's like the renegade Detroit investor trivia as we move around and do our different meetings. I think you're going to be outgrowing Shields. Soon, it's pretty uncomfortable. I, I like. Tell. I don't want to move though. Man. Yeah, it's no, they're hard great finding there. another place. And they're great. They yeah, take care of us. Is awesome. I yeah. I haven't. I miss that meeting so much. But it's on the it's on a Tuesday, of course, the first Tuesday of every month except July. And my little guy does some ninja classes on that day, yeah. so I miss it. But that's I, why I never see Tom Otterman until his kids graduate. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to see him. You know, <laughs> like, still got eight two more years, years, I'll get to I see. Eight more. Yeah, I don't think he'll be doing ninja for eight years, but it'll be something. Um, though. I'll be back. Yeah. I'll be back eventually. But it's honestly, it's the best meeting, and it's a great location. I think Shields has been. I was skeptical the first time we had it there. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. There's people trying Near to die there. Yeah. But it worked, and people learned to either stay in for the content or GTFO yep. to the other side of the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we've um, taken over the whole thing basically yeah, at this point yeah. in time. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's Tuesday. It's probably not their busiest night anyway. No, they love us, they and love they us. they have been very nice. So I'm 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 glad about that. Um, well, for years, man. Renegade Detroit investors, I didn't get more than like 35 people in a room. God, there was times for fucking years where there was. Like a group of us in this size, twelve, yeah, ten, twelve people. Yep, yep. Nobody showing up, yeah. right? I, that's what I mean by ideas I had about the group versus what actually would work. But I'll tell you one thing: I almost guarantee you a good chunk of those twelve people, they're, yeah, they're heavy are hitters, still in the man. room yep. today. Yep, are still are. in that room today because a lot of them, been or on the they're podcast. just too busy. They've been on the podcast, yeah, yeah. or they're too busy, you know, crushing everything around them to. <laughs> to come to the meetings, but yep. <clears throat> yeah, most of those people are still. Basically, my point is they're still involved, both with you and in the business. You know what I mean? They've been around, so I had brand loyalty for reasons I don't understand. So, although I did lose when I crashed Urban Trail Wholesalers, meetings definitely dropped. Right? Sure. A lot of the people I borrowed money from were in that fucking room. I just sure. fucked up their lives. I fucked up their retirement. Yeah. Right. Like. I ruined some some people, not yeah. obviously not intentionally, but the outcome was right. Yeah, their investment took a um, dog shit. Right. Well, even more to that point is some of the people that you owe money to are still around. Oh I yeah, mean, I'm still I'm still taking care of that. It's I figure probably another three years. Literally I'm looking today, at my horizon, folks, I'm like, yeah, I literally today, today there was yeah. a closing yep. where he's still rectifying yeah. the situation. It's gonna take so, a while, you know. Yeah. That's the way. Sometimes you make a mess so big, the only way to pick it up is a little bit at a time, right? What are you going to do? You can't tackle it in one day or no, one, most people, one month or one year or even five years, but you still got to do something about it, right? Most people don't do anything about it except run away and look for a shield. That's what my ex-partners did. Whether it's a bankruptcy Scurry or whatever. Away like right, cockroaches. Right. They're just like, I'm light. protect me, fuck the rest of the world. And I'm with you. I mean, I, I had my own share of fuck-ups and both partially my responsibility and partially was a victim of some fucked-up shit, too. Um, but I didn't run and hide behind a bankruptcy. Or whatever. I'm, I will make it right eventually, too, working on it just like you. Um, but I think that's part of why I'm drawn to you and why, that group, too. Both the the realness of the group, it's it's renegade, but I mean – you know, it's it's real. You, there's no fake bullshit with that group. And then the responsibility, um, you know, how many people are going to sit there and, and even just say, what I fucked up their lives. I fucked up their retirements. I've Even it's if it was true. Do you know why? 
it probably took you a long time to get to that point, but yeah. yeah. So part of, um, and I knew that, but becoming my, uh, what, what my therapist would call my authentic self is to speak truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So and it wasn't like I ever intentionally lied. Right. So let's make that clear. But I was, there are lies of omission. I made many lies of omission, mm-hmm. right? Like I never called anybody and lied to them directly, but I didn't disclose things to partners that I absolutely should have disclosed. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did that several times. And because I did that, uh, one of my good friends, they all, several people got fucked up, but especially one of my good friends got really fucked up by it. Right. They ended up getting dragged through court case for uh, almost four and a half years. Right. This is, not something, generally speaking, even I would wish on my my worst enemy. And then have the court system literally used against me that way and see how you could manipulate it. And a lot of that was my fault because the same thing that got me in, my first, hired my first three attorneys, right? Like it took me a while to write myself and my thinking and start making good decisions. It really wasn't until the fourth lawyer, unfortunately, before – I was really making good decisions and hiring the right people. So I just, you know, I did this. It happened. Um, I don't advertise it, right? But I do talk about it because it does happen and it does come up in conversation. And I am working on it all the time. It's Mm -hmm. part of just, it's my tuition. Yeah. You know, I got, I got, I got tuition. I got to pay. There's still a lot of people. That's why I think about three more years and I'll be back to zero. Right. So, and I don't think that's too bad. Can all things considered, although it could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot. I could be in jail. Yep. Which by the way, I will thank, um, my one mentor through EWI, Jason, he did teach me one thing that I stuck to, and it's probably why I'm not in jail. I never touched the money. Everything was through title companies. Everything yeah. was with a mortgage. All the rehab money was escrowed. The The lender had to release the escrow money on a signed release on a draw schedule, right? The money wasn't released to me. It was released to the contractor, right? So I did a, I did a lot of things right, too. Uh, I did a lot of things wrong as well, but I did a lot of things right. And I want to, that was one of the things, if I hadn't done that, I think I could have been, I don't know how they would have told us apart, right? The reason why the FBI came to my house and talked to me, I said, I would love to cooperate, contact my attorney. My attorney called them and they never talked to him and it never went anywhere. But I think if I had touched the money, that would not have been the case. Mm Mm-hmm. Because none of the money ever went back to me and it was always done and the lender always signed off and it was always a title company. It was expensive to do it this way, but this is what I sold. It was hard to get people to invest in Detroit. That's got to be the worst part too, the betrayal. Right. So I was <clears> like, <throat> you're not giving the money to me. You're yeah. just not. You're buying the property for me. Here's how much I'm making. And then we're going to rehab it, do that. We're going to put this person in. Then I'm going to get paid at the end. It was like a full disclosure kind mm-hmm. of thing. You decide when we get the money. You sign off to pay. You can hire somebody. You can hire somebody I don't even know to come walk the property, right? This is what I was like selling. And it turned out to be part of the scam and be the mark. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, man. Brutal. That's tough. To Brutal finish. Yeah. 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 But you climbed, you've climbed out this far, and like I said, the attitude alone, I think, is 
is in short supply in this world these days because most people would just tuck tail and run and protect themselves and fuck everybody else. I can make new friends and I can do the, you know, whatever the, whatever, however they rationalize it or whatever. I, and I know because my partner unfortunately didn't end up in jail. I wish he would have. Most he, people get away with he it. He filed bankruptcy, essentially walked clean from everything. You know, maybe he lost something that he, he, I think he protected everything as far as I know. Um, the last I heard, he was just still, still doing real estate, flipping houses, like building houses on the east side. So I was like, you stay on the east side, I'll stay on the west side. Don't fucking come near me. Um, but it sucks because it was like a betrayal. Yeah. The same thing. Yep. Like to find out. Psychological exactly, damage, man. Oh, it breaks your confidence. Fuck, you know? that fucked me for a long time. Can I even long pick time. the right person? Mm-hmm. Can I, you know, I know now. I like, I didn't know then. I now know, right? That is a good, that is the best part about going through all this, though. Once you know, it is like riding a bicycle, mm-hmm. right? Now, the process could be as torturous as you want it. And apparently, I had to torture myself a little extra <laughs> than the average person to, uh, to find the correct answer, right? But I did find the correct answer. And I, and, and it's like riding a bike. You can't unfind it. You can't unlearn it. Yeah. It's like once you got it, you you got it. So then, what are you going to do? Well, just get to work. Yep. You know, you got the answer. Get to work, and then this too will pass. Time will pass. Um, on on the fact, the longer I do it, the easier it is. It just then I just keep doing it the same way. Keep well, keep getting yeah. better. <clears throat> and you are you're getting better and better. You know, the wholesaling into I'm going to you know be a real estate agent and go work for Joe. And then learn, okay, this is really love what he's doing, but this part of it works best for me. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take a little bit well, of this. Well, I didn't know how it was going to tie this. back in, but the the main reason I left was seeing the smartest, best people I know struggle with scalability, right? Mm-hmm. You, Ron, Mike, it's a fucking constant, perpetual problem, right? And I, I have... I have back issues. I have a bad back. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't had a day without pain since I was 21, you know? So this is just part of my life. I've had two back surgeries. I work hard and I work a lot, but I am getting older. It's getting harder. And I had to do half of last year. I couldn't even fucking drive, yeah. right? That it, So I saw ahead of time I was going whatever – Leverage. I, w- I was going to have to learn how to do something else in order to leverage, and I didn't think that was ever going to be a real estate agent. But Joe sold me. Joe sold me on the idea, right? And it made sense. Joe's hyper aggressive, like me, so mm-hmm. we have a, a lot in common. He's also uh, ex- incredibly goal oriented, and Joe can focus on just one thing, like few people I have ever seen. Sometimes to the detriment of everything else, but like all things, he hyper focused on that thing and became great at it, mm-hmm. right? In a very short very period short time. of time. And I was like, well, maybe there's something I could learn over here, which for me was like going to the dark side or mm-hmm. like, um, I was never going to be a fucking realtor. I hate realtors. As an investor, you do not think highly of realtors. There's nothing you can – and I'm not talking about all of them, but it's like 90% of them, unfortunately, right? <laughs> this is some hard truths to you people who treat it like a hobby and fuck your friends and family for 6% essentially, right? And make our lives more complicated. And you're, you're, 
You're also gatekeepers, which won't last for all long, by the way. Um, your inefficiency as well. And if you don't think that's not going to come for you, you know, ask all the shoe cobblers and all the extra manufacturers that aren't here. If you don't think you're not on the list, you better be delivering value. So I, w- yeah. I came in with a bad attitude about it and I'd like break that down. I never realized how much being a real estate agent would help me as being a real estate investor and as being a wholesaler, mm-hmm. right? Like I never realized being a wholesaler would help me be a listing agent. I learned how to comp so well, so many appointments, hundreds, if not thousands of comps I had to run working for you. And then later doing my own thing, being able to figure out what the real value was. I didn't realize that made me, that part made me a good listing agent right out of the gate, Mm -hmm. right? Well, the same way I didn't realize being a real estate agent would help me see some of the scale problems and see some of the systems they use and the way they approach things, right? Like, for instance, I now understand the value of a real transaction coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. So Carolyn, Carolyn Toma for the Dealey Group, amazing, right? No way I go on the run I do the last three years with the Dealey Group and now on my own with Renegade Realty Group without Carolyn. I feel like Carolyn is a kingpin, I don't know how we're going to do it on a wholesale that I'm going to pitch an idea at the end that I'm going to do and see if it works. But I think that is one of the kingpins right now. You got to pay them a lot. Mm -hmm. So this is really only going to work if you want to push big numbers. And when I say a lot, I'm talking like something like 50 to a hundred thousand dollars, depending on how big and how many responsibility, how much responsibility they're going to have. Right. But if you can find the person who's crazy like you, where you're not, it's it's not even a one-for-one one or a two-for-one return. I discovered it's a force multiplier. Mm-hmm. Having someone <clears throat> as invested in you as you are in you and will ride that deal to close as a transaction coordinator, respond to everything, why isn't this done, where is that, we're on track, mm-hmm. this date, all that, takes so much off your plate And to know it's getting done. If you hire and train the correct transaction coordinator, that is literally like rocket fuel to your business. All the bullshit disappears. In fact, not only does it disappear, it gets done a hundred times better than you ever would have fucking done it. Yeah. A lot of my clients love Carolyn way more than me. And that made me happy, right? I real, like I learned and I'm grateful to Joe and Renee for this too how valuable this team member was. And as I grew my business, I realized there actually is no me without a Carolyn, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that transaction coordinate, like you actually need the one to have the other. Otherwise you have an wholesale, as you know, the sine wave, right? What am I talking about folks? Well, you drop your postcards, your phone hits, you go out, you put under contracts. Now you got the contracts. Now you got to go sell the contracts. Selling the contract isn't that hard, but now that you have the contract sold, now you got to herd the people to closing. And while you're herding the people to closing, you're trying to do your calls as well as you can. But one of the reasons why they're in this situation is they require a fair amount of herding the closing, right? Egos get hurting. Yeah. So accurate. Yeah. 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 Fuck you, feelings, <laughs> right? What if somebody removed that entire thing from your plate? That's what coming to the Dealey Group 
did for me. Mine starts Monday. Right. Fingers crossed she works. That's what – and I saw what was possible with someone like that who knows real estate, mm-hmm. who, who can read a contract, who is not afraid to be annoying. Where are we at in this? Why isn't this done? Yep. This has got – no, we're not extending. There's no reason to. You've had – I've been – get this done. In fact, with Carolyn, she was so good, we would just take over deals, right? My standing orders to Carolyn was do whatever they want so long as they're doing what they need to when they're not. And when they don't, we do it our way. And that became so predictable. I had so little fallout from deals, which – as a wholesaler, I swear, I swear like 25% of your time is dealing with the fallout of the mm-hmm. deal, like when it falls apart and then you got to go resell it or you drop the ball on something or it, it's just so much going. I got to learn this aspect and see how valuable it was from a real estate agent side. Now, you don't get paid dick on the real estate agent side compared to the wholesale. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is we can steal from these motherfuckers these great ideas they have <laughs> and then deploy them over here mm-hmm. on, on the dark side. Yeah. We're going to pull the, we're going to pull these things from the dark side to the light side. You know, we just can't be dogmatic about it. And I've discovered and learned a lot of those things. Transaction coordinator is definitely one of them. You get a good transaction coordinator and a great title company with somebody who's assertive and like Carolyn can't stand for things to not be done in the same way I can't stand to lose or not get the deal or not get the listing or not win the negotiation or not get the price I want, that will grow your business exponentially. And that is exactly what happened. I didn't do anything different. I took all that shit off my plate and it went to someone doing a hundred times better. And I got all this time back to spend doing the right thing, going to the investor's house before he buys. Yes. You want to buy this one. It's got the bathroom, right? No, you don't want to buy this one. Look it this. It's functionally obsolescent. The cost for removing this, you have time to do, you have time to negotiate or argue on appraisal. I can drag and negotiate for four or five days. To get what I want for my seller doesn't hurt anybody yeah. or anything. I got all the time in the world for it because I'm not doing all this other stuff and I know it's getting done. I also got countless negotiation experiences, right? I got to go negotiate with other people's money, essentially, right? So I have, well, you don't do much negotiating on the realtor side, not like on the wholesale right. side, right? But I did get all those opportunities, all those at-bats, right? And I don't think – if you want to get into real estate and you want to be a real estate investor, I don't think it's such a bad idea to be a real estate agent. Treat it like an apprenticeship master thing. You're here mm-hmm. to get what you want from it, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know shit. You're going to learn. Well, what are you going to learn selling real estate as an agent? Well, you're going to learn how to a work lot. with a title company. Yep. You're going to learn how to put together a purchase and sale agreement. You're going to learn how to write an addendum. You're going to, you're going to learn something about appraisals and home mm-hmm. inspections and comps. Sure. And that's values. not directly aiding your real estate investing career, but even beyond that, there are other opportunities, the business opportunities in real estate, seeing how the real estate game actually works from the real estate agent perspective. Also being a real estate agent's the polar opposite of being a wholesaler. Yeah. Wholesale is all about now, today. And if you're not hunting today, guess what, folks? You're not eating tomorrow. You're not eating tomorrow. It's an active thing. It's a grind. Actually, one of the best habits I ever developed from that was that three-hour-a-day prospecting habit working for you, mm-hmm. where no matter what, I would do the three hours a day, bang the phones, go out on the appointments. It took me a while to get to that spot. 
but that propelled me um, far in life. I learned all these amazing things being a real estate agent from people I hated too. So you, sometimes you got to, you know, let go of something. Maybe you got to go to the dark side. Yeah. Right. Maybe you got to go learn. Maybe you got to, and I had to let go of more money too. That really hurt. Cause I, I was getting to where I was making pretty decent money mm-hmm. wholesaling. And then I'm like, I don't see how I could leverage this necessarily at the time. I couldn't, I didn't see people who've been doing it longer and better than me. They hadn't figured it out. So I was like, am I going to figure it out? Probably not. And I probably shouldn't do it in a way that's going to fuck my wife for a third time. That's definitely not going to work, <laughs> right? So I did I did the agent thing, and I'm really happy I did. I just do the listing side. I'm going to start doing buyers now. Obviously, we're talking about mm-hmm. how I hired my first buyer's agent. But um, I think – there's more to offer as a real estate agent, certainly, than I previously thought. And I do think it's a way more viable way to get in to real estate investing than I previously thought as well, too. So long as you make it serve your needs, right? And as long as you're open-minded yes. and not... You have to go serve others. And that's just part of the process. But you get, you get just like this apprenticeship master, you're serving, you, you get more in return. You will learn from it. You can get paid, and then then maybe you do a wholesale deal, yeah. right? You work into it however you did. I jumped in the wholesale. I'm glad I did, but I see so many people quit. Maybe if they started on this end where it wasn't them, they can go do it with somebody else. That might be enough to get their foot in the door. You if know you're what I'm saying? brand new trying. I'm I not would. writing this contract. This person's writing this contract. For some people, that's all it takes. Yeah. They just can't get, well, I'm not signing a contract. They just can't get past it. Well, you can do it this way as an agent. I I would recommend starting as an agent versus starting as a wholesaler. It's so wholesaling is simple. It's not easy. It's fucking hard. Very hard hard work, but it's very direct, simple. It's not anybody who wants to can do it, can do it. Now you might have to work harder than some people, right? But this is not, you don't need even a hundred IQ to do this. Yeah. It's not that difficult. It's just a lot of work. It's very hard, but it's simple. It's challenging. <clears throat> Being an agent is challenging too. It's not easy. Um, it, there's plenty of new agents that fail too, but you have to be open-minded and you have to, you have to be able to shut out the stupid. And what I mean by that is <laughs> the wholesaling's illegal and oh, oh yeah you know it's in the handbook I still get that. for exp you can't be a wholesaler i'm like i list a fair number of wholesale deals and i get people arguing with me i'm like shut the fuck up i'm, I'm talk, getting my broker's my license broker. yeah i'm just gonna get my bro i'm like that close and i'm gonna take over and i'm gonna be my own shop and then i'll i will worry about the state of michigan and the lawyers and i know what i'm doing is legal I know what I'm doing. The way I'm doing it is proper, the way we do it. So I'm not concerned about it. But I have agents still to this day that tell – I mean you, new agents even that tell me they don't want to be involved in wholesaling. They're worried. They're scared, whatever. It's illegal. It's in the fucking licensing exam. It is. Wholesaling. And actually it's in every purchase and sale agreement. If you're – if you don't know, if it's not legal, when you read through it, there's always a part and it says something like this. This contract is not assignable without the written authorization of the seller. Yeah. If it's illegal, 
why do they have to write it in the purchase and sale agreement? All an assignment is is that part removed, and instead, instead it says seller agrees that the buyer could assign this property to whoever the hell he wants or and, she wants. And and basically, that's I mean, it. Really, any assignment, any uh, contract is assignable. assignable. Unless it specifically says it's not, yes. like you just said. Which everyone from the MLS specifically says it can't without the written authorization. As a wholesaler, you just take that part out. Yeah. Now you can assign it. And you can just line that part out yep. and submit the offer through the MLS, the same as always. Now, you may be challenged to find a buyer. Good luck. I, I yeah. hate rehash deals off you, the MLS. And this is but this is the problem. And you can do it. This legally. is the problem I'm hoping to solve, Steve. Involving an agent and a wholesale deal is usually a fucking disaster, right? It's usually deal killer central. But let's face a fact. They have many of the buyers we want. Whether we like it or not, they corner a lot of the industry, right? The ones who would yes. pay more. Yeah, or on right? the MLS. This is the problem I will be attempting to solve, right? I think with the right agents, this is a solvable problem. And I'm in a unique situation to do it. It's something I never planned, but think about it. I've been thinking about it for a while, and I've already started doing it. I know practically everybody in Southeast Michigan who's social – there's plenty of people who never come out. I don't know who those are, right? But are social who go to meetings. I know them all. They come. I have most of their phone numbers and email addresses. My new buyer's agent, Jay Smith, and I have – we're systematically dialing through. We're going to talk to everyone. We're putting together the buyer. Like, where do you buy? How do you buy? What are you looking to do? Landlord, flip, right? We're going to work this shit backwards. We're, it's going to take us three to six months to do this, right? As we're doing this, we're going on every wholesaler's list and we're searching the MLS and we're going to take deals that we know are deals and pair them up with buyers and with wholesalers. And instead of you wholesalers having to kick out 50% or 30% of a deal to get it done, you'll be kicking us back 6%. And then we're going to hand the fucking thing to my transaction coordinator And then you're going to get your ass back out there and you're going to go get 10 more fucking contracts, right? So now instead of giving up half the deal and then having to – you're not giving up half the deal. You're giving up 6%. We're going to match buyers with as many people on contracts, not the ones you don't have a problem selling, right? That's not what – we all get those deals. You're going to sell it to your friend. You're going to do it in one phone call. You're going to do it because you like working with them and you always, you want to make them money because you want mm-hmm. to, you don't need me for that, right? I'm talking about the other 80%, right? That is a fucking problem that causes this sign curve and where everybody else sells says no because you can't afford to give up half, right? Or maybe you need to make more from the deal and the agents have it. We're just going to do this work. We're going to call, we're going to put together the database and it goes without saying, that the buyers that sign with us will get it first. And it goes without saying, I'll be able to negotiate a better deal. I have personal relationships with these people, right? So if you fuck me, you fuck them and you're Mm -hmm. out, right? The same rules are always going to apply. I expect within the first year, I'm going to try and pick up something like 50% of the dispositions market. There's no reason why. And how we're going to do it is we're going to go do the, we're going to look at the deals, And then we're going to go to the database 
and we're going to match those deals up with people and we're going to close them for a fraction of the price, increased efficiency. And then my transaction coordinator takes your purchase and sale agreement, the assignment with our commission, because now it's in my financial interest to close this goddamn thing like a machine and a predictable way. So you can cash your check and I can get paid. Yes, sir. Professor, I have my hand raised. Um, sign me up. Um, my dispositions manager just quit because he's Ooh. conflicted about being a wholesaler. Ooh. I was, I'm that close to hiring my cousin to come back on board and do this, but I'm worried about, she's a female, very small, cute girl, young. And I'm worried about most of my deals that I can't send her there. Without, Sexist pig, but you're without, absolutely right. Yeah. Well, you know, I worry about sending a small, she man doesn't know jujitsu yet. She needs to I don't know any shit. of that shit, but thank God I'm a big dude. Yeah. Like I got that, like I look at, and I'm all tatted up from the Navy, right? So I got. I, I know got, it. I'm kind of fat and I have a gun. I have a beard. <laughs> yeah. I look big. Hat makes me look a little taller than I am. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I love Steve. it. Ooh, Fucking brilliant I, idea. I like that. Yeah. Jeremy only wants the hard ones too. The ones that you right? can't close. Well, honestly, I don't want shit. your cream. You don't need me for that. I want to solve a problem. I have right? that's I, what I want. I literally had several deals this month fall apart because of that. I didn't have the right and it's not Orlando's fault at all. It's no, not his it's fault. not even your fault. It's not it's Dave's not, fault for, for the price we got under contract for. Business problem. It's a problem that many of us wholesalers the struggle agents with. Agents had the solution the whole time. They won't do the work. We're gonna do the work. Because we, we know this is not gonna work with every buyer. Right. Right. And this is the problem. So do we're going to have to sign it through. Yeah, you're so going to sign it. Buyer. So we're going to do cash. We're going to do mortgage. And it, trust me, this is going to this is going to work. <laughs> you really have my right? attention now. All wholesale right, deals. Gotta, sorry, guys, this meeting's over. I'm going to stop this. Right <laughs> yeah. now. We can't put this out there anymore. I've been thinking about this for a long no, this time. Is really good, right? That's, a long time. I think this is really smart. Well, I ne- I couldn't figure out. The, nobody could figure out the problem, and well, we, I never would have thought it would have been on the agents. The solution was on the agent side, and I wasn't looking for the solution. I'd actually given up on wholesaling, not personally, but the idea is wholesaling as a business that I could expand. It never occurred to me that the way to expand my business would in wholesaling would be become an agent and then go back and solve this disposition problem that wholesalers have. Yeah. It's not a direct route, but they had all the tools and the expertise and the access to buyers. And I have the database and now I have a young man, Jay Smith, willing to work his ass off to do it. I have all these numbers. I know all these people. There's yeah. no reason why we can't. And if I can save them money and then I provide this transaction coordinator piece, it needs to be both. Yes. We need we need to get more. We need to get a little bit more on a lot of these properties than you can get when you're under the gun to do something, mm-hmm. right? When you're under the gun, you'd never make the right decision on a property, right? And you're under the gun because you need to get back out there and get more contracts. This solves a lot of problems. And you only have a limited window to sell yes. the property, to yes. sell the contract. So that's two things. The other the other one is is basically you you handle the part. So we've all known as as wholesalers, I'm an agent, I'm going to be a broker soon. We've known the solution is the MLS. Yes. None of us want to do that middle part of it. Yep. There are plenty of wholesalers out there. I shouldn't say wholesalers. There are plenty of investors out there 
professional real estate investors, right, across the country that have this type of setup built within their office. Like, right, it's they're they're a one, and that's kind of what I've been building towards. Yeah. What was your other option, though? Right. Like, but because I there have was to. no other solution. Right. Was- I was building that because, and I'm building that because I have to. If you're going to build that part of it, and I don't have to, I'm going to have to pay that six percent anyways. If I go through the MLS, like more. Yeah, because in the wholesale world, the guy you really need doing it is the guy who can go out and do it on their own a lot of times too. So now your partnerships are more expensive, yes. right? Yep. But here, here's here's what we're going to have to do to make it worth it for the six percent. We're going to screen the buyers, and we're going to end up working for the cream on the top. We're still going to match other buyers that aren't cream, right? But obviously, just like on this listing model I have, there's a level of service and people who are going to want it. And those people will rise to the top. And it's going to take probably six months to a year for that number to make sense. But I know, and I proved it on the listing side, if you can make it through that year after identifying all the correct people, you – the, your growth is kind of unlimited, right? And there's no way to do it without the sorting process, right? The work is the work. We got to go in and sort it. We got to work. We got to work it. It's being organized. See what sticks. We take this systematic real estate agent approach. Mm-hmm. We smash, smash, smash. We we categorize, and we we pull them off the MLS and the private market, and we solve these problems. Especially, I want you to think about all the all the people who miss out on a deal because of work. They mm-hmm. can't get there in time, right? Yeah. What if I can have the kind of relationship where we go and see it and go, no, this is the this is it. Yeah, this is the real McCoy. I want to build that kind of level of relationship, right? Where it's going to make sense on both sides to mm-hmm. work with me. When I give it to Jeremy, the shit disappears. Yep. When I sign with Renegade Realty Group, we get deals, right? Yep. I know it's going to be a process to get through it. I know investors can be as bad sometimes as real estate agents too. And I proved it on the listing side, but I know there's gold there. Mm-hmm. There's gold to be had. And I know you guys, cause I lost the contracts. Mm-hmm. It drove me fucking crazy. You go through all that it's work to get that. It's the worst thing in the fucking world. It drives me nuts. It is so hard. It's a needle mm-hmm. in a haystack. Yep. Now, you know there's a needle in every haystack, sometimes two or three, but there's still a fucking haystack, right? And then not be able to close on it. Part of being a good wholesaler is like fucking disappointment management, right? Mm -hmm. Like constant – you get one and then you lose it. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's like having the world record fish on and right before you land it, it breaks the line (laughs) and you see it get away. It makes you fucking sick to your stomach. Hours. Of work evaporated. Thousands of dollars of investment to get Maybe that days, to call. depending on that. And then it's just gone, right? We can stop some more of that. Now, I imagine it's still, because of the nature of the business, going to be messier than the retail side. But I'm relatively sure we can impose a significant amount of predictability to it, right? Especially over six to 12 months as it becomes more clear who we need to be spending our time with, mm-hmm. right? Where, who we need to be talking to, who we need to be selling these properties to. And then I think at that point it'll really take off. So yeah. we're getting ready to do that work. So I'm sure we're going to fuck it up too, right? Building a database like this and making it searchable is not going to be the easiest thing, especially for efficiency. But I think if we work at deals backwards, and then match it with the buyers. Mm-hmm. There's efficiency there. They can save everybody money and time. And then what I would get for my goals is I want to fucking crush everybody in this office. 
I want to put up big numbers with a small number of people. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants to do this work. This is completely untapped, mm -hmm. right? I think this kind of work, like all work, will get me more of the other work too. If you're it, it willing will. to do it for that, what are you going to do for mine, mm -hmm. right? So we're just going to start with the hardest. Like everything in my life, Steve, I came to Detroit. That's right. Because I said if I can make it in Detroit, I can make it anywhere. I didn't know it was fucking gladiator school for real estate <laughs> investors, right? <Yep. laughs> Two man enter, one man leave, right? That's exact. It's That's worse than it that. Yeah. It's like a hundred man enter, one man leave. <laughs> That's how I, I'm. If we can do this, Renegade Realty Group can fucking do anything, right? Yep. If we if we can manage that part, even B plus. I think everybody will make more money. And what I like doing about it is it's still within that Renegade Detroit Investor Network too. So it's the same people I already like, know, and trust. Yep. Keep it in the family as well. <sighs> Sign with me. That's the it. important part. Sign Great. buyers. You're going to want to work with Jay and I and whoever else is coming in the future. It is um, if you want deals. If, if you don't, you want to do your own thing, don't stop. A lot of you are successful. I'll, I'll go both. But you know which ones I'm talking to. I'll be a buyer for your deals, and I'll have wholesale deals yep. for you. So I'll give you some criteria to look for. We're going to find the deals list. and then match them to the buyers and the database. Yep. So we're going to be calling. Jay Smith and I are going to be calling you people in the next three to six months. You're going to get a phone call sometime. So Or zero to six months, I should say. We already started. Some people already got the phone call. So. Nice. Good. We'll see how it goes, but I anticipate after a mountain of mining, there will be gold. And I gold think for all. I that's gold in the Renegade Detroit family. It's been sitting there the whole time, and yep. frankly, its work has been waiting to be done for a long time, and it's time to get to work on it. So, yep. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm just I'm kind of sitting here in awe. Uh -huh. I kind I had the feeling I was going to sit here in awe. I mean, I just listening to you guys your podcasts while i was still <laughs> learning shit now i'm sitting here in the same room like kind of dumbfounded but. yeah i want you to ask some questions too didn't your I, wife want you to be nosy I, you she texting did, her? but she didn't give me a list of questions no list ask. of questions no no all right all right i led you down some some dark paths and yeah that talked was about good. getting arrested and right had to bring that up. 27 hours in Wayne County Jail. That was fucking blue goats, by the way. I can't imagine. I was so glad. I'm like, man, they have no idea how soft I really am. Don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I grew up hard, but like not Detroit hard. Yeah. Right? There's hard <laughs> That's like there's that, Detroit hard. It was like Guamanian hard. Like I had it hard till you go to Guam. You're like, actually, shit ain't that bad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> shit, it, I'm from Detroit. It's Guam's all hard. But, that, but I looked big. I got the yeah. beard. I got yeah. the fucking tattoos. So I, just, I didn't say shit. Yep. I just sat there, tried to look me but, you know, but, yeah. but deep Look on the crazy. inside i was like this is a sham one touch eye they were openly planning their next drug deal in there in front of the cops and everything and nobody gave a shit i couldn't believe it nobody we didn't even so get far. searched oh, that was dangerous <laughs> i was terrified man i'm like oh my god like i can, you you lock people in here like this you know? For many, many months, too, people would be in there for far too long. That's why the whole new jail thing man. became a thing. But like, I can't, I can't believe like, you'd, you could run it better than that. You could make sure people don't have weapons. Yeah, you could maybe you make it harder not to plan a drug deal while you're in there. <laughs> I don't know. The people there weren't very nice either. <laughs> There's this fish in there who, anyway, you could tell it his first time, but he wasn't hiding it well. Oh. See, I at least grew up in a situation you. 
hide all your weaknesses. Right. Right. Like you can't show weakness. Fucking streets will eat you alive, right? He did not know, and he's he kept panicking. And one of the guards told him, "Like you keep this shit up, I'm gonna lose you in here for a week." And I fucking believed him when he said it. I yeah. recognized the person it was. It was my mother. There are people like that, and they will absolutely fuck with you just to fuck with you. And I'm like, I ain't saying a fucking word except yes, sir, yep. yes, ma'am. Do exactly what they tell me to do and not get fucked with like that guy. I'm like, this is Wayne County Jail. Yeah. I don't know why I was surprised. You know, it, everything. Apparently, that was a nice one, too. I went to the one in Hamtramck. Okay. Like, that was a good one. Yeah. I'm like, if that's the fucking good one. Yeah, you don't want to be down. I don't want to see the bad one. <laughs> no. For missing a, a court date. For missing Ugh. a fucking court date. Actually, not even me. My third lawyer who I fired. Actually, after that one, I got it right. So thank Jesus for that. But still, my God. Man. The judge berated me, too. I had to sit there and take that. That was humiliating. Yeah, that's the worst. He talked down to me. Do you think it's important to show up to court date? I'm like, oh, yes, my God. Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah this that's is what happens when you miss this is Sullivan's gore. We can pull you. You're like, oh, my God. This- yeah. Okay. Thanks. Here you go, sir. Go ahead and get off your high horse now. Fucking asshole. I, hate I did. Kind of he got a little shitty with me, and I was like, well, I certainly didn't intend for my lawyer not to show up. Yeah. I understand it's my responsibility. And he's like, I don't care if your lawyer shows up. You better. You're going to. Trust me, I got it. I yeah. already got it. Here's what I don't understand, yeah. though. They shackled me like I ate somebody's face off. <laughs> so I had the ankle on oh, to with the waist. In front of the judge, and they didn't have handcuffs or leg cuffs, I guess, for my ankles. I have, I have big bones. I don't know how I have big bones. I have big bone, big, big bony arms, big bony legs. So they had to press it in to snap it on the first one, and then the chain is like six inches. So I was so you're walking, like waddling like a penguin, and it hurts like hell. And they kept pushing me from behind because I was too fucking slow. And I was like, I missed a civil court date. I didn't eat anybody's face <laughs> off. Like. Why am I? Why am I? Why they didn't is go this? with the face mask. No so face mask. Okay, that's yeah, good. no, no face mask. Thank Jesus. But they were all out. Everybody else was in them. I'm like, man, <laughs> it, maybe I'm the only decent one in there. I had a hard time believing that. They're going to snatch me up for that. Right. Snatch somebody else up for it too. Right. I don't know. That seemed a little extreme to me. <laughs> that whole thing. I mean, just the. That's just extreme. The way they treat. You know, defendants in general. It's not really innocent until proven guilty, like the Constitution says. Right, right. That's the that's the nice side. Yeah, that's what they tell you in school. The reality is, fuck you. Get on the ground. Don't move. I'll blow your fucking yes, head off. That is a do it too. Yeah, yeah do it. Yeah, but I, do sir, it. I you. What am I getting stopped for? And you know, it, it's. I mean, let's just be real. It's worse if you're black. I mean. But don't ever I'm do white, it. and it's it's yes, been pretty sir. fucking bad. I've had yes, ma'am, several shotguns in the back of my head by yep. police officers, and you know, do what they say. Yeah, don't don't give them a don't reason. Don't understand the the aggressiveness, but okay, sir, it's just a tail light. Hey, I man, mean, I'm gonna play NWA all the way home after they're fucking <laughs> yeah. gone, right? But right, in right that now, situation. God, I wish I was that smart when I was 19. Well, no, nobody is that <laughs> I was smart. Not. I'm 39 now. And we no were better. like. Fuck you, pigs. Yeah. So I Cops. will embarrass Gina a little bit. I do have the wife that argues with the cop. 
Oh boy. Oh my god. That's... She's gonna get you in a fight. <laughs> She's oh, that wife. My... No, no, just cops. Just cops. Just cops. It's like an authority figure. That's almost thing. worse. I like the, this meek I like this. mild <laughs> woman. Yeah, Mark's over there like right. Yeah. There's the dirt. There we go. She won't even tell me where she wants to go. Let's go. Right? And I gotta like drag it out of her, and you know, and yeah, she will go right at him. It's like this, this is what you really have time for today. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you don't understand the rules of the street. You I want to talk about privilege. Uh, she's a Native American. She's not a little white girl, but she looks like a little white girl, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you don't know it if you look at her. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you definitely grew up in different neighborhoods and had different experiences. How about you shut the fuck up? We had several times where they would leave, and I'm like. Gina, I swear to fucking God, <laughs> just shut the fuck up. I know you can't help it, right? Something about – she just can't handle it. Like this is what you have time for. Like one uh, was speeding and one was – it was bullshit, right? Yeah. Like a speed trap. Yeah. And then it was like a left-hand turn trap and, and hand tram it because you can't take a left-hand turn between three and four. And she did like yeah. – I get it. It's bullshit. She yeah. remembers the east side break-in that nobody showed up for 45 minutes. Right. She argued with them when I almost got arrested for felony, right? Uh, they – they were this close to taking me taking away. Taking her too. And she wouldn't shut the fuck up then either. I'm like, I think I'm going to get a ticket and not have to go in. Like, let's just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pissed too, but these, these are the people who, uh, uh, thank God they let me, they let me stay there, right? They didn't, it was just a ticket. That's, but. I can't believe they did that. That's shocking, really. Did they take your shotgun? Yeah, of course okay. they did. Yeah. All right. Well, they sort of did their job. Yeah. yeah. They took my shotgun. Did you get it back? No. I don't know what? these things. No. You didn't get that back? I could have gotten it back oh, okay. if I wanted to go through all the to. paperwork. And gotcha. I'm like, is that worth a $350 shotgun? So what happened to that shotgun? Let's take a <laughs> – <laughs> let's not go there. Uh, what do they do? They Probably some Detroit cops sold it on the street it for was money or something. destroyed. Right, yeah. Right. Quote, I'm making giant air quotes. I was bummed about that one because that one was one that my friend's father, who's now dead, gave me. It was a family oh, shotgun. That sucks. And his son was kind of a – frankly, a piece of shit. And he liked me for whatever reason. He didn't do any hunting and fishing. So and it was his grandpa's gun. It wasn't a very good shotgun, but it had some sentimental mm-hmm. value. So I was, I was kind of pissed about that. But it was made clear to me that if I wanted it back, too, um, it was going to be difficult. So I had bigger fish to fry, unfortunately, at the time. Power, yeah. electricity, like – like uh, Much bigger problem. I, I kind of regret it now. I kind of wish I would have got – I think I did made the right decision, but I kind of I kind of miss it too. Yeah. Well, you maybe know. they still have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go ask them, right? Oh, yeah. Let me go look. <laughs> wait. Two th- wait. No, no, just no. Just one second, Jeremy. We'll go back and take a peek. Yeah. No, that shit is long oh, they're gonna, gone. They're going to call you sir, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure some of it gets cut out. I can't imagine that being worth anything besides – Sentimental value. You know? Oh, on the street, it's worth something, but not much. Maybe forty bucks shotgun. I don't know. To someone that can't get a gun in a regular store, that's going to be worth something. You yeah, know what I mean? True. Have you seen the revolver shit that people walk around with in the street these well, days? Well, yeah, but a shotgun's kind of like that's that's a lot to carry have around. You, Even have you seen the off? meme of the guy with the like revolutionary? War style <laughs> rifle looking out at his car. Well, I drove around car. for years. I drove around with a shotgun in the back of my yeah. 1970 or my 1960 Ford Falcon Ranchero <coughs> right behind the seat. I had a little ledge and the shotgun was installed in there. Nice. There was no, I didn't have shells in it. I had shells in the vehicle, 
but I drove around like that, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like I was insane at certain parts of my life in Detroit. Hey, like, there's nothing wrong with carrying a gun. That doesn't make you insane. <laughs> driving around with a shotgun in the back okay, of my maybe, maybe a little. Yeah. But I just I was a little eager. I think I was like, was I'm get, not eager. Getting I'm robbed prepared. blind. Yeah. yeah. Now I know better. I don't do any of that shit, but. That broke my heart. I had to sell that. So when I I bought it when I was in the Navy, a 1960 Ford Falcon Ranchero. Mm. When I when I got out of the Navy, I had it. When I left San Diego and left my parents and moved up to Pullman, Washington, I had it. I went fishing, sturgeon fishing, steelhead fishing, salmon fishing, brown trout, rainbow trout, all that stuff. Took it out to Detroit. Did 300 plus deals in it, literally. That same wow. vehicle. I bought my wife a new car and I drove that thing around. I had a skull uh, spray painted on front with a, it was a skull and it had the crossbones behind it. I spray painted that in primer after I spray painted Just Married on it when Gina and I got married. Like I fucking loved this thing. I had no heat. The windshield wipers didn't work half the time because they had the vacuum up. But this thing just kept going. I had that straight six. I had to sell it. In 2013, when I completely ran out of money for $1,200, and that mm. was when we lost our car. I couldn't. I didn't have insurance on it anyway, and by that time, I didn't even have a driver's license because I couldn't afford to pay the tickets. Yeah. And one of the great things that Michigan used to do, they just changes, thank Jesus. But they literally, if you couldn't pay your ticket before, they would revoke your driver's license at some point. Yeah. So, so you can't work, right? So yeah. you can't drive. That's one of the reasons why I couldn't drive with Steve. I didn't, first I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. Then when my friends helped me buy a car, I couldn't drive the car because I didn't have a driver's license. So when I hear these wholesalers talk about how hard it is to get to a fucking appointment mm-hmm. with their job, it's kind of why I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Try doing it without having a car or a driver's license. I did. It sucked. Still made it happen. You could do it. It's easy to do with a driver's license. So I didn't even have my fucking driver's license yet. I had to pay all that shit. Yeah. wonder why I hate the fucking state. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Way to fuck a man when he's down. Like, right. My God, I can't even drive to go get work. Nope. Yeah. No, thank you. fucking crazy. Uh, they suspend your license for a ticket you didn't pay and then continue to suspend it. And then you drive because you need to work to pay the ticket. But I never did they that. Caught though. you. Oh, I fell into that trap when I was yeah. a teenager. No, I realized I stopped at that point. I made Gina yep. drive. I was like, I'm sorry, Gina, but like, I didn't have a chauffeur. We just can't afford this shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, even. that's, that's another thing too. Gina would take him to appointments, bring him out to meetings and fucking, you know, wherever the hell yeah. I decided to have the meeting at this particular time. Sometimes it was Bloomfield. Sometimes it was Livonia, you know, depending on what, where I could book a room. And they would come out and we'd have the meeting and she'd help with whatever I needed help with and preparing. So, yeah. no, she, Dude, we still shared a car until last year. Yeah. yeah. It's a fucking long haul, man. It, yeah. Sharing a car is not a fun thing, especially if you work like I do. And then you don't want to screw your wife out of a vehicle all the time, yeah. right? You just get to sit at home and yep. stare or Uber everywhere. Right. right. That's not fun. We just got a second vehicle. Last year, which is awesome. I was like, ah, we're free. Freedom. Freedom. What are you doing? It doesn't matter. I got my car. You got Man, feel so good to be able to go do whatever you want. It's the small things in life. Like, I felt like I made it when we got that second vehicle. I'm like, oh, man, we got two. (laughs) Guess what? You can go somewhere, and then I can go somewhere. No more calendar. It just became, all right, what's the calendar look like? How are we going to do this? Yep. For a year, it was like, what? How long was that? It was like four... Four yeah, years. Like four or five I years. Yeah. 
I had to do that. So even having a second vehicle is like, holy shit. So if you have a vehicle on a cell phone, shut the fuck up and get to work. Yep. It's yep. a lot easier that way. <laughs> and you can do it. There's no excuses. There's yeah. proof right here in this room. Too I would say get an iPhone too if you're going to do the real estate wholesale. Th- you're going to work the fuck yeah. out of it. You need something reliable as hell. It. If you're a wholesaler, this thing is your, your sword, your M16, your musket, however mm-hmm. you want to – your pen, right? Yep. Like it's, it's everything. Now go spend good money on it. Get something that's going to do everything you want it to do for a long time and, and spend when you get, that's the first thing I spent money on when I was working with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remember. Yep. yep. You're like, wow, that thing is pretty amazing. I, could, I think I had like the iPhone six or something. Yeah. It was my first iPhone too. Cause I had the Samsung note for the couple notes. No, it was good. I love that phone, but just then the iPhone was man. just another yeah. level. And you know I, what? People have the new Samsung phones, the Galaxy whatevers, and they're great phones. I am telling you the picture quality. They will tout that camera. It's not the same. When it comes to taking pictures of houses and doing what we do, nothing is as good as an iPhone. And by the way, I'm just throwing this out there because this fucking drives me crazy. Turn your fucking phone sideways, people. <laughs> it's 2019. Yes. Everyone's looking at these screens Giant screens. They don't want to see your little vertical picture there. So turn your phone sideways when you take pictures of houses. You can see much more of the house there. Go listen to my wholesale course. I'll tell you exactly how to take pictures. I got this shit down. It's one of the few things I did that I pulled over from Urban Detroit wholesalers that was a good thing. I had a good system in place for it. If you take the pictures the way I tell you to, you will do great. We'll even go one farther. As a bonus for the 100th episode. Uh, I will send Jeremy a link to a video of Jeremy and I walking through a house oh, in Detroit. That's right. I forgot about that. 22 minutes explaining step by step how right. we to take photos. That. Don't forget to send it to field. me. I forgot we did that. Yep. I'll send you the link. I use this in my, in my business to train yes. my team still yes. to this day. There is a right way. Yep. Or at least a more right way. Maybe your way is a little better. I don't know. I've tested it pretty extensively at this point. You take pictures this way. Not only do you know everything wrong and right about the house, you know the layout of the house. You can yep. remember it. You don't have to take notes if you do it the way I do it, and you can go on an appointment an hour. Yep. Which, if you're wholesale, that appointment an hour, go on four or five appointments, you just can't help but be successful. Yep. Smash it, knock it out, systematize it. And then your buyers can't come back and say, well, I didn't know about that. Well, it's in picture 67. I don't give a fuck. You signed the yep. assignment. You're not going to come back. You know all the games, right? Well, I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. This eliminates that too. Yep. Yeah, you did. Maybe you should look at the pictures a little closer. Well, I'm not feeling generous about that because I think you're just trying to get <laughs> negotiated down. Not my fault you didn't look at the pictures last time, right? It gets rid of all that horse shit. It yep. goes, goes away too. Take pictures the right way. I still get shitty wholesale pictures. I'm like, motherfucker, I give it away for free. Yeah. And you won't go do it. I'm like, I get annoyed sometimes. There's six pictures here, and they're clearly pictures the seller sent you. Or the worst, I hate this one even more. They're a screenshot of like their photo <laughs> oh, yeah. in their album or something. Like, who, who, who does, does that? that? Just send the fucking picture. You, it's right there. Send it. That's something yeah. I want to talk about before we get off. Sorry, do you have to run somewhere? And Okay. I booked out until four o'clock, but I don't have to go anywhere. So good. It's three twenty. I don't think we'll go that long, but I want to talk about opportunities and seizing them. Okay. One thing running Renegade Detroit investors that happens all the time is I get people come up and talk to me about their problems in life, which I actually love doing. Right. 
Um, I actually genuinely love helping people, and I've learned some things that could help other people. And the things I don't know, I know those people at this point, right? It's a great thing about having this network. Yep. I can point you to the Allian Daniels, the, the Steve Lundos, the Ron Wall Ravens, right? If I don't know the answer, I can at least point you in the right direction, <coughs> the direction I know that is correct. But I want to talk about opportunities because really what I learned how to do – through humility and getting rid of arrogance and as much ego as humanly possible, sometimes when you're starting, even not even from zero, from negative, you don't have the greatest number of opportunities in front of you, right? A lot of times your opportunities are small and not very enticing and come mm. uh, with a disproportionate amount of work. Maybe it's not even fair. Maybe it's not even right, right? I'm of the belief that you seize and capitalize on the opportunities in front of you and that those opportunities lead you to bigger opportunities. And I'm going to make my case for that, right? I started a lot of things very small. And this is through the history of time. I've cleared title on a listing where I got paid $237, right? We all like, if you're just getting started and your op, you did, your opportunity doesn't look like a $20,000 deal. Like I'm not going to do it. If I can't make 50 grand, what will $1,000 not help you? Will $257 not help you. What else do you have to fucking do? That's so great. Do you have another opportunity that you can go act on immediately right now and take one step towards what you're doing? I think if you can humble yourself to doing these little things, to serving other people, to just capitalizing on the opportunities you currently have in your life, what what if, right? Let's be honest. Are you really working that hard at your job? Are you coasting? Are you taking advantage of your boss by taking a 25-minute break, right? Are you the kind of employee that somebody would trust you? With right, like I want you to think about where you're really at in life. Where where are you? Would somebody trust you with even ten thousand dollars? Do you have a friend? I have multiple friends that would give me ten thousand. Would give me. I have friends that would give me a million dollars. Do you have a friend that give you five hundred dollars? Where are you really at in life? Well, let me tell you how you get there. You start capitalizing on these opportunities. People will see you. This happened to me so many times where I would go work this one shitty opportunity I had where I had nothing else. These deals that won't close, where I go torture this person until I get them to the closing mm-hmm. table, right? Or I got to go clear title. I learned so much through clearing title with you. We go chase down divorce records. We go knock on doors. How we got your title clear is the craziest fucking story in oh the world God. where we had to hunt down this lady who was actually in jail, federal jail, and then hunt them down to get like – if you look at it, is, is it worth the money? No. If you're only looking at the money, it's not worth it. I think people stop there. It's not the money. It's the opportunity to show somebody what you're capable of. And some people get lucky and get huge opportunities right away, right? You don't control that. But you need to act on the opportunities in front of you. And what I did when I got my shit together was just started acting on them. Mm-hmm. Small shitty, didn't want to do them, not fair, 
necessarily. Somebody tries to screw you, you know, like the whole, like whatever these, these are the opportunities go out and, and work them. And I think this is particularly relevant right now for the last five, six years as the pussification of our fucking culture and that, that somebody owes you because you exist. Nobody owes you shit. Maybe your parents have some responsibility for you to a certain time in your life, right? But that's not forever. Who the fuck are you to have these opportunities? Why would Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, anybody fucking talk to you? Why should somebody trust you to sell their flip or sell their wholesale deal, right? Start there. It starts with seizing on these fucking opportunities and doing a good job where you are. And there's no running away from it. I moved all over the world. I convinced myself a couple times I moved just to see if the problem would, you know, like if I go to a new spot, the pro- you take all the same shit with you wherever you go. So I don't care where you are. Maybe you do need to get out of that town, right? Like fortunately my father got us out of Coos Bay, Oregon, right? I don't know how many of those small opportunities you got to capitalize on before you can get the fuck out of Dodge and get somewhere else where you can capitalize on bigger opportunities. But that is the answer. Mm -hmm. The answer isn't, unfortunately, like my uncle who blew his head off, right? The answer isn't like my cousin who drinks and drives and and can't do it. He can't keep his life together. My other cousin sitting and we all have the, the, that's not the answer. They have all these reasons why their life isn't a particular – they haven't taken any responsibility for it. They've had – we live in literally the greatest country in the world, not the perfect country, the greatest country, in opportunities. If you know how the system works, it's about opportunities. Start seizing some of your opportunities, right? Don't feel sorry for yourself. Admit what you don't know. Admit where you're, where you're not at. You're not the best employee. Nobody should trust you. You don't know shit, but you can and you will if you start capitalizing on these opportunities. I didn't realize it was necessarily what I was doing all the times I was doing it. Some I was. Like with you, I hunted you. I didn't know it was you I was looking for, right? But I needed to run. I wanted to wholesale. I need to learn how to run a business. I know I couldn't do it myself. I had to go find you. And others I just acted on when they were in front of me, like being an agent. Mm-hmm. Not something I ever looked for. I was pursued something I never wanted to do. And I never considered going to the dark side. Just when you get opportunities, and especially if you are unhappy where you're at in life, maybe it's time to see some of them. Maybe that little opportunity is a big ass opportunity. Maybe you're not such a fucking sorry piece of shit. Maybe you can do everything you said you wanted to do. Maybe you can show that person what you're capable of. Maybe you can write that wrong or write more of it so you can go through life. You, How are you going to know if you don't start? Start with what's in front of you. Go do that shit. I, now, I didn't have this clear thought in my head. This is me looking back at the wreck of my life and putting the shit together and trying to problem solve in it. But that when, when things started going right, is when I started acting on the opportunities that were already around me and being humble enough to do the $1,000 deal, mm-hmm. to go ask for help, to go learn from someone else, to go work for someone else, to go do the things they want you to do. These opportunities are around you everywhere. It's not an excuse. Just start. Pick one. Go do it. The sooner you start, the sooner you're out. When I did that, it was July 2014. 
literally every fucking day since then, Steve has been better. Even my worst day where I thought when Gina and I weren't going to make it and that wasn't going to happen. And now the whole seal, I haven't had the same problems. Mm-hmm. They're different. They're new problems. They're money problems. They're time problems. They're management problems, right? Like everything has been better since I said yes and started doing something. And I, I think, and nobody, I don't hear anybody else saying that either. So I wanted to say it to you guys. I think this is how everybody does it, but nobody says it like that. That's how I see it. That's how Jeremy says it. So seize your opportunities, people. Take some personal responsibility for your life. Go add some value to some people, even if it's not fair, even if it's just to get out to do something that's only slightly less shitty. Go do that. Hopefully, you're going to live a long, happy, healthy life, right? I think you're more likely to do that if you seize on these opportunities. So go do them, please. Please. Do something that you're in charge of. Like Take, take control. Decide first. And don't worry what other people think. I got to say, you know what? The best yeah. thing about destroying your reputation and killing your, your money and your family's money and your friend's money and your professional life and everybody thinks you're a piece of shit and all that. Who fucking cares? Where are they now? Yeah. I'm doing what I can. I also know I can never undo what I did either. Yeah. There's nothing I could do to fix it completely. It's a loss. It's on my record. You get your ass kicked. Yep. Who fucking cares what they think? I don't Mm -hmm. care what anybody thinks anymore. I worry about me. Did I do a good enough job? Did I do everything I could to sell that listing? Did I do everything to get that listing? Could I have negotiated better? And you got to be honest with yourself. Sometimes I don't. Fucking pisses me off. You're like, God damn it. That agent got me. You know, I got tricked. Like, fuck. Yeah. Now I got to add that to the list, right? Oh, I took a small L there. Call mm-hmm. it an L. Write it down. Learn from it. Anyway, go do it. Please, folks. Just just go do it. Even for a month, I think you will be surprised. I came in a meek, mild mouse and left Steve a lion, and that was only two years. Yeah. Like, I had – my ambitions were so low. Like, it's kind of embarrassing to think about. Right? But look how it piled up yep. five years later. All that is was a series of teeny tiny that nobody – I've seen very few people go exploit since. I, they're still lying around. Other people could literally go do this right now. They can go to Steve. They can go to somebody. They can do the same fucking thing right now. That opportunity still exists. Yep. And I bet it exists in every city in America. Yep. And if that one doesn't, do the shitty ones to get to the city where it does exist. They're there. I know they're there because I look around and people aren't doing them. And I still see the opportunities. Mm-hmm. I just have new opportunities in front of me that I am exploiting because yeah. I have, frankly, more opportunities than I can exploit, which is completely ironic, right? Yeah. I now have to go back the other direction and pick one yeah. and go put in another two or three w- years work on it again. I'm at yep. that point in my life. So you can actually, by taking and seizing all these little shitty opportunities, you can have so many big ones in front of you. You really got to think about what you want to do. Yep. Imagine being in that position in five short years. I don't know, man. I think you can control your life more than you're, you're led to believe, more than you can believe yourself, 100%. more than you probably think you're capable of. Who knows what you're capable of? Have the humility to just go try. Go do it. Go see what you're capable of. You might find you're capable of way more than you think. And if you're not, try it anyway. You'll probably learn. Fuck, man. Especially in the agent world. Wholesalers are a little different. I think it takes a 
uh, personality type. It seems like in the real estate agent, all types, if they're just willing to work, mm-hmm. can have a pretty decent life, even yeah. with some discipline. Yep. Real estate agent world too, it's not nearly as competitive. That's one of the benefits to coming over here. Yeah. Do I want to go head to head with Steve, Ron, Mike and Mike, yeah. Dave Gittins, you know, like it's fucking murderers row out yeah. there, right? <laughs> Every one of them's trying to answer the phone faster, get right. to the appointment quicker, close harder. You think I'm going to get a shot after Steve? You know, that's, that's competition. You come over here. It's like that book, uh, blue water, blue ocean strategy. Yeah. yeah. They, they were not prepared for me. Yeah. They have no fucking idea. They don't know what we have. We, you can eat them alive over here. So, no, you don't get paid as much, but then you just push volume. You could do that. you got all sorts of opportunities. Go find your spot. Go test something. Go try it. I think you will find something you like if you're willing to go do it. And don't let anybody tell you you can't or you shouldn't. Fuck them all. Go do it anyway. Yeah. Fuck them all. That was the point of my quote, too. <clears throat> Yeah. In the beginning. It was a great quote. Yeah. That's well, great quote. At, I'm going to read it again. Look at the switch end of five this up. years. I mean, in the end, if you do shit in five years, you're going to look back and say, wow, that five years went by fast. That time's yep. going to pass. Right. You know You know how many times I felt good about it, too, frankly? Like, not very many. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it fucking sucked the whole time. I, now I got to do it physically with my life. Like, mm-hmm. I put my, my, my mental health back together, my financial health. And a lot of the relationship help with my wife. And now I got to put like my personal health. I have to go do the same thing again here, right? It's, it's just how you do it. So go fucking do it. Yeah. Do it. So get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage, and go out on the attack. Jocko Willink. Do it. So the closing, I want to thank our guest, Jeremy Burgess, for his time today on his podcast, episode Excellent. number 100. I'd like to encourage you to check out everything he's working on. You can get him at Jeremy at RenegadeRealtyGroup.com. His phone number, 313-600-2133. I had to look at him to make sure he's – you want me to read that, right? Absolutely. (laughs) RenegadeDetroit.com, meetup.com slash RenegadeDetroitInvestors, and Facebook.com slash DetroitInvestmentClub. If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends that you think would enjoy this. This is a free podcast, and your sharing really, really helps. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, reach out and let us know. Motivation and inspiration as we wrap up this podcast, we want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps that you need to take to become financially independent. Uh, there are many distractions, mistakes, poisonous fucking people, and bad habits that can prevent you from starting or continuing towards your goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer to your goals, even if it's just one step. Thank you for listening and your attention, and we'll catch you on the next podcast. Until then, crush crush it. it.